2: Any city in any state in America. And it looks increasingly like they are all dealing with the same problem. Or should I say the same family of problems. And that is, what do you do about social media? How do you solve a problem like social media? And that could be the subject of not a one-hour radio show, not a four-hour radio show, But that could be the subject of a nine-year doctoral dissertation uh, by multiple Ph.D. candidates because it leads to so many other issues. You have a, a situation where social media does involve spreading potentially misinformation. You do have a situation where social media encourages you to just stay online, online and plugged in, and prevents you from interacting with people in real life, which we've talked about. You have a situation where social media can lead you to down a psychological path of bullying and cyberbullying. You have a situation where social media can give you a distorted view of of reality, causing real problems with self-esteem, particularly among young people. But I don't think it's only young people, to be honest. Because I see in the little Facebook group we have, and if you want to be a positive influence on that Facebook group, we encourage you to join Facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano. But in the little Facebook group we have, which has it's just a little tiny little group, 3,500 people, whatever it is, um, people... Not everybody. In fact, I think it's relatively few. They just get so mean to one another. They just delve down into the world of name-calling. Well, let me tell you what the French are doing, or at least looking like they're doing. And I want to tell you exactly what they're doing and then get your take on whether you think this would be a good fit for the United States of America, your state, your city, your community. First, let me give a big shout out to our newest affiliate, uh, WLVL1340AM in Niagara County, uh, Buffalo and Western New York. Big fan of Western New York. I love a lot of the people that are out there. I love the sort of toughness that comes from out there. I love a lot of the cuisine that comes from out there. And uh, welcome aboard. And uh, if you are just listening to this program in Buffalo and wondering, who is this person? Why is he talking? Where did he come from? I'm Frank Morano. Thank you for listening to our show. Give us a chance. If you don't like us out in the first five minutes, listen for an hour. If you don't like us after an hour, listen for two hours. If you don't like us for two hours, listen for all four hours, and then by then you're going to be so tired you're going to forget why you didn't like me to begin with. So I appreciate you listening, and as we always do, uh, all this week, we will bump anyone from Buffalo that's listening on WLVL to the front of the line if they want to call in at 800 That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Back! to the French, France is cracking down on influencers. Now, do you know what an influencer is? If you saw the movie The uh, Triangle of Sadness, two of the main characters in that picture are influencers. Basically, that is one of the main career aspirations for young people these days. Used to be young people grew up and wanted to be Astronauts, now they want to grow up to be social media influencers. And basically, these are people that I I don't want to say that they have no talent or that they're famous for being famous because the truth is, it does take a lot of work to be able to build a social media following that gives you that much of um, a following where you can be an influencer. But anyway, you basically grow a following on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter on uh YouTube, whatever the case may be. And then you basically endorse products or do things of that nature. And a lot of times you get paid, a lot of times you get stuff for free. I have a friend who's a big TikTok influencer. TikTok. She makes between four and six thousand dollars per month just in advertisements. And this these are very relatively silly videos that she's done. But I'm not taking anything away from it. She got millions of views. I'm all God bless her. So now what the French are doing is they are taking aim at everything from crypto scams to filters. There is a proposed bill defines influencers as people who use their celebrity to promote goods, services, or causes in digital content in exchange for compensation. That's according to The Washington Post. Basically, anyone from Kim Kardashian— to that uh, Instagram lifestyle guru whose positive vibe is all thanks to a particular brand of essential oils. And if this bill is passed, it would require influencers to disclose paid content, number one. Number two, it would ban paid promotion of cosmetic surgery and some financial products, including crypto. That's right. A lot of people got jammed up in that uh, crypto situation. It would require influencers to label photos and videos where their faces or bodies have been manipulated by filters or editing. And then lastly, it would add banners to content promoting anything risky, such as gambling. I have to tell you. I'm looking at all four of these, and look, I haven't looked at the nuts and bolts of this French bill, but based on the four big-ticket items, I am all for this. If someone, um, if someone is using a Kim Kardashian filter to make sure that they have a tiny waist and then a large bust and a large buttocks, young girls who watch that should not think that that's reality. Because some influencer is using that and won't label it as a filter. If someone is giving financial advice, whether it's about stocks to sell short or, or stocks to buy or different insurance opportunities there might be to invest in, and they're getting paid for that, you damn well they ought to disclose that. If someone is promoting cosmetic surgery, that shouldn't be um, – that shouldn't be uh, – allowed for in terms of paid promotion. And if there's anything, look, the banners for anything risky, such as gambling, I could see that potentially being a, a risky, uh, basically being a Pandora's box, because how do you determine what's risky? But look, I watch gambling videos. I watch gambling podcasts. I've made a couple gambling videos and gambling podcasts. I don't have a problem with slapping a, a label at the beginning. So if this bill is passed, violators would face, now, I don't know that I'd go this far, but I'll tell you what the French are doing. Violators would face six months of jail and a $328 fine. And now that sounds intense, but the bill asserts that, yes, influencing is a real job and should be held to the same standards as other media or advertisers. Uh, You know what? I kind of agree. I have certain restrictions in terms of what I do. If someone, you know, someone asked me the other day, hey, if um, if someone gets you you and your family free tickets to something and you don't have to pay, uh, can you go on the air and say something nice about it? I said, no, I don't think I can. I think that's a uh, plugola. And there was a big scandal years ago. I'm sure there are still people that do it, mainly among DJs, where DJs would get paid by record companies In order to play certain songs. They called it payola. So I am... uh, And you know what? There's a, a lot of talk show hosts you might know who've engaged in what some of my colleagues privately have referred to as payola for opinions which is a big old think tank or a big special interest or even a politician or a political party will buy all sorts of ads on their network or on their channel or on their show itself. And in the process, a lot of times the air talent gets a big cut of that. And then when that issue comes up for discussion on the air, oh, who am I going to turn to? I'm going to turn to the think tank that's buying all of these ads on, the, on these shows. So um, free trips is another big one with people, and people have gotten in trouble for that. I don't see anything wrong with disclosing this stuff, and we're not talking about a filter that has, and I've seen some of these. I think it's Snapchat filters where you can have puppy dog ears or something that's totally unrealistic or turn someone into an old person we're talking about tools that promote unrealistic body types and beauty standards and studies have found social media users, mental health and self-esteem is negatively impacted when they can't look like the influencers who often achieve this look, not in real life, but through these filters. 2019 the guardian reported on what they call Snapchat dysmorphia, a term coined by a cosmetic surgeon to refer to people who want procedures to look like their are filtered selfies. Think of how unhealthy that is. And Norway passed a similar photo editing law two years ago, though experts worry such regulations don't address the root cause of these body image issues and draw more attention to manipulated photos and encourage people to go to greater lengths. I, I don't know if that's the case. I love what they are doing, what they are proposing here in France. What do you think? Good idea? Bad idea? Want to know more? Would you change it at all? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Elmont. Hello there, Steve.
1: How are you doing? Thanks for taking the call. Um, I do agree that they should put some kind of, um, you know, regulations on this. And as it's becoming a main source of media, even taking over the news to some extent, um, they should be held to certain standards and certain rules just like journalists and anyone this you know radio DJs and disc jockeys you are you're, you have to start to um, differentiate the difference between you know this is something that I'm using or this is someone that's some something that someone's paying me and telling me to um, to do. So yeah they should change that they should charge and if you're earning income, you have to disclose it on your taxes. I mean, I'm starting well, to actually I, even get checks.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is YouTube. you do you do have to disclose it on your taxes. You already have to do that, mm-hmm. but I think uh, I think what a lot what the French are concerned with, and what I'm concerned about in the United States, to be honest, Steve, is that these influencers are making a lot of money, hawking X Y Z lipstick or X Y Z cereal, and uh, they're not disclosing the fact that they're getting giant checks in order to do that.
1: So, for instance, when, when someone's in a music video, are they supposed to disclose that, you know, in regards to for the music, the the, the, the jewelry that's not real jewelry well, that's or the a good, car that they're renting?
2: That's a good question. I, I don't think that would apply uh, to this uh, this French law. I think it's—and thanks for the call, Steve. I think it's more of a situation of, hey, I really enjoyed this Ovaltine. Boy, it's delicious. It must be so fattening. Oh, let me look at the label. It's not fattening at all. You mean it's delicious and nutritious? I'm going to go out and buy five more glasses of it. You know, th- it's that kind of thing. If, if people know it's an ad, that's one thing. But if it's coming across like I'm doing a talk show and uh, uh, online, which is very popular among these influencers, and I'm telling you, hey, you know, I really like XY. I've talked before. There are certain thing products that I like that I'm not getting paid to tell you but I, I really enjoy Zevia, uh bubbly, the sparkling water I really like. Back in the day I used to really enjoy um Tab before they stopped making it. And I don't get I don't get paid for all that, but what if I did? What if I was getting paid a little something on the side? Wouldn't you want me to disclose that to you? I would think so. So I love this French law. 800 9222 Hey, yesterday was Easter. A couple of things here. One, uh, back by popular demand, we're going to talk with Marianne Pizzatola, president of the New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees and FDNY EMS Retirees. She's going to join me in just a few minutes to tell us how um, people that have worked in New York City as cops, teachers, firefighters, sanitation officers, sanitation workers, et cetera, are getting screwed. They're not going to be getting the health care that they thought they were going to be getting. So you might say, well, look, Frank, I live in Baltimore, I live in Nevada, I live in Buffalo, I live in Alaska, I live in Tennessee, what do I care? What happens to the New York City retirees? Because the only reason New York City was able to do this is because of a Federal change to the law. And the only reason New York City is doing this is because they are going to save a lot of money. That's by their own admission. So you can bet if New York City isn't doing, if your city isn't doing this yet, they are going to look at this very soon. So that's coming up in the next few minutes. But I did read on Easter Sunday um, a wonderful column in the New York Post and I might have skipped over it because, you know, I I read the papers on Sunday, especially on a day like yesterday where I was doing a lot of running around. I read them very quickly. I basically read them to scan for talk topics and for news that I don't know and uh, issues that I can research a bit further. And I came across this uh, column in the New York Post. But before I read the New York Post, we had dinner. I went. I had Easter dinner with my dad's family and my stepmother says – You have to read this column that Cardinal Timothy Dolan wrote in the um, in the New York Post. And she said it was all about uh, the nexus of baseball and religion. And she said it actually made uh, made her cry. So I said, boy, that must be some column. So I read it and it did not make me cry. But it did, it really did do a good job capturing the incredible nexus between faith and baseball and spring. And uh, I think whether you're religious or not, whether you're a baseball fan or not, I think you're going to enjoy this as much as I did. So I don't pretend to have Cardinal Dolan's flair for public speaking. I don't have his dramatic sensibilities or dramatic way of speaking. He's an incredible speaker. So uh, I'm going to just read this as he wrote it without any of the Cardinal Dolan flair. I'm sure if he has recorded this somewhere or played it on his radio show, I know he's on Sirius somewhere uh, on the Catholic Channel. I'm sure it's worth listening to, but I didn't have the luxury of having him record it so, uh, this is the Cardinal Dolan column in yesterday's New York Post. For Jews and Christians, the arrival of spring allows us to observe the towering feasts of Passover and Easter, and the season of the year closely mirrors the religious seasons as well. With spring comes light, warmth, the renewal of nature, fresh growth, and the end of the chill and darkness of winter. With Passover and Easter come God's deliverance from sin death and oppression the promise of a new life and revival and with spring comes another potent force in our culture baseball as Vince Scully, the boy from the Bronx and alumnus of Fordham, the legendary baseball announcer whose life I was just honored to celebrate with a memorial mass at St. Patrick's Cathedral used to comment, nothing tells us spring is here more than the sound of the crack of the bat, the ball hitting the leather of the glove, or landing with a plop on the green glass sodden with a soft April rain. Many have commented on the parallels between religion and baseball, which is good to recall now that our Mets and Yankees have returned, and we celebrate the High Holy Days for Jews and Christians. Both have a keen sense of ritual and tradition, reminding the player, the fan, and the believer that we're part of something beyond us, something that fascinated generations before us. We hold up heroes whose prowess was inspirational, whether Moses and David, Mary and Joseph, the saints of Catholicism, or the Babe and Lou, the Scooter and the Yankee Clipper, Mantle and Maris, Seaver and Kuzman, Jeter and Judge, rules are important for both baseball and religion. People of faith call this morality as we too have foul lines a strike zone and a judgment safe or out okay you can steal on the field but not in religion both also count on trained and fair umpires read rabbis and priests to call fair or foul then there's the sense of timelessness as neither baseball Judaism nor Catholicism keep a clock it's as if we're part of the eternal lifted from the humdrum schedule of ordinary life absorbed into an event that has no dependence upon the wristwatch for that- that reason, both also require a sense of patience and anticipatory waiting as we look forward to an ultimate victory. Team play is essential to both. In the sport, a dazzling pitcher will still confess his dependence upon stellar fielding and productive batters. So, Jews and Catholics form communities, teams, as we depend upon one another for prayer, support, and encouragement when we may be in a slump good example. Religion and baseball both have errors. People of belief call them sins. They hurt us and the team and can end up in defeat. Judaism and Catholicism both have a start and a finish, which happen to be the same place. We Catholics and our fellow Christian brothers and sisters Rejoice that Jesus, our Savior, has conquered death itself. He rose from the dead on the first Easter Sunday, as George Carlin famously noted in his skit comparing baseball and football. The batter starts at home plate and yearns to score by returning there. The believer comes from God and is invited to return to him for all eternity. The two, religion and baseball, rely on hope. For people of faith, we hold fast to God coming through for our repentance, his mercy, and a second chance. And for baseball, well, there's always the next inning, tomorrow, the rally, or even, as Brooklyn Dodger fans famously repeated, wait till next year. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus would agree with Yogi, it ain't over till it's over. Oh, and I could go on, as both baseball and religion at times do. But you understand, baseball, religion, springtime, all similar. See you at Yankee Stadium or City Field, or even better, at the synagogue or the parish church. Wasn't that nice? I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you uh, want to read it uh, in or if you tuned in as I was reading it and you want to read it for yourself, I just shared a link to it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MuranoFan. And if you haven't already done so, uh, please like the Facebook page. That's the quickest way that I'm going to become a social media influencer so that I have to disclose all my earnings in uh, the nation of France once this bill passes. And uh, I am all for this bill passing both in France and in the United States. All right. Marianne Visitola, president of the New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees. Joins me
0: straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. One day happy, one day sad,
1: feeling good and feeling bad.
0: are spoken, then in haste. The
1: heart is broken. Who's in the strawberry patch
3: with Sally?
0: Now that she's not picking them with me. Oh no, I don't.
2: The great Tony Orlando singing there with Dawn. Well, uh, it is rapidly approaching Judgment Day, unless something happens differently in New York City. Some 250,000 New York City retirees must switch to a new Medicare coverage plan after their own union leaders favored a privatization plan. Come September 1st, these retired city workers and any dependents who use their insurance will automatically be enrolled in Aetna's new Medicare Advantage plan unless they decide to opt out. This is uh, really, really crummy. How did we get here? Why would the unions representing these retirees go along with this? Why would two mayors who are not exactly known as enemies of organized labor go along with this? Most important, if you're someone that this is about to happen to, what can be done about it? And if you live in a city other than New York and you're a retiree there or may soon be, Will this happen to you? Here to answer those questions and more is Marianne Pizzatola, president of the New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees and FDNY EMS Retirees. Marianne, it is uh, always a treat to talk with you. I'm sorry that it so often seems that we're talking under dour circumstances.
4: (laughs) Yes. Good evening. Good morning.
2: (laughs) Good morning. So, uh, Marianne, for people that have not been following this story Mm -hmm. or who have not heard our previous conversation, give us sort of a Reader's Digest version. What exactly is happening and how did we get here?
5: Well, it's basically started in 2014. Uh, the United Federation of Teachers didn't have a contract for nine years under the Bloomberg administration. And when the de Blasio administration came in, they decided that they were going to do something that no other union, to my knowledge, has ever done in, in history, which was uh, negotiate a contract that was partially funded on the backs of other unions and the retirees. And they did that by Uh, Negotiating away retiree health care and putting to put retirees into a privatized Medicare Advantage plan. The purpose of that was to create a funding stream. The city basically said to this union, "Listen, if you give us back that Medigap plan that they currently have, which is that supplement to to Medicare, we'll give you the money that we would have spent on them." And because the cost of of premium health care was increasing. Uh, it would look, was looking like the union workers were going to have to start to pay a small premium. Get around that, this is what they ended up doing. So we fought that in 2021. We filed a loss. I started this organization for the sole purpose of protecting retiree health benefits because we'd always had a choice since 1947. And then in 1967, this code that is called the administrative code which is what the then unions tried to go and change after we won the first lawsuit where the judge said sure you can implement that medicare advantage plan you just can't charge those retirees they then tried to change the code scare the city council legislators it just got crazy um but that's that's why we got here
2: so if uh if retirees want to avoid joining a medicare advantage plan altogether Uh, And remain on traditional Medicare. They will be able to do that, but they're just going to have to pay out of pocket for any supplemental coverage, right?
5: Yeah. So what they did was uh, to get around the court's decisions that we are. We also had an appellate court decision that was unanimous to get around all of this, they chose to eliminate all of our healthcare choices. So where you say opt out, I'm choosing to use the word now waive. I'm being told the only way to stay in traditional Medicare and a supplement would be to waive my rights to my city healthcare plans that I earned and paid for during my tenure. Um, I can stay in traditional Medicare, um, however, Under our agreements, the City of New York was reimbursing us our uh, Medicare premium, so I would lose that. That's first. That's $165 a month. Then a supplemental plan, I may never, ever be able to get into one, ever again. Um, The situation with that is if you're under 65 years old and disabled, which is like most of our 9-11 responders or our 9-11 survivors. Uh, may not be able to get into a Medigap plan because there are no guaranteed issue rights. And the guarantee issue is there's only four states in, the, in America that have this, and it's that you are guaranteed to be issued a policy, even outside of open enrollment period or if you have pre existing conditions. If I'm not in one of those four states, there's very few circumstances that would permit me to have a guarantee issue. Under 65-year-olds, that's almost impossible. And
2: and people think, oh, okay, $165 a month, what's the big deal? If you're 80, 85 years old and on a fixed income and your pension is locked into what you were earning 45 years ago, another $2,000 a year can be a substantial uh, amount of money.
5: Or impossible. So, so to put that in perspective, and thank you for saying that, because so many people don't understand that. We have cops and firefighters who were your highest paid workers in New York City in the 70s. Their top pay then was $15,000 wow. a year. Wow. So today, they're only making a pension of about $26,000. But see, it doesn't go back that far. Even I myself, I am an under $35,000 pensioner. So if you want me to start paying $2400 a year plus copays plus drug drug costs it's impossible you can't do it. And I can't even complain because I've got retirees that were, that were crossing guards for example, 35 years worked in Brooklyn. Um uh, she makes uh, they typically these people make less than $800 a month.
2: Now, uh, the mayor Adams is—he uh, was a, a police officer, and uh, he certainly seems uh, to be a friend of the police. Bill De Blasio seemed very cozy with uh, many different aspects of organized labor, at least the leadership. But they have both said, and their administrations have said. Look, this had to be done because it's just costing too much money for the city to provide this amount of uh, comprehensive health care coverage for retirees. Uh, What would you say? What would you have the city do recognizing that uh, they're they're saying they can't afford to do this, but recognizing the need that retirees were made a promise by the city when they took these jobs?
5: Well, see, Medicare-eligible retirees, we cost the city the least amount of money. A Medicare po- Medigap policy for the city of New York costs under $200 a month. The active worker plans, those cost over $900,000 a month. They have family plans. This is the crazy part of this, is that they took something away from the most vulnerable population. And under New York state law, retirees are no longer represented by their unions and they don't collectively bargain so we've left our jobs on knowing that we've paid our dues for our unions and we're loyal union members for decades we were left with a promise that the city was going to cover our health care we took years of zero-zero wages uh, reduced benefits reduced pay, pay compared to our private counterparts and then now after we've been retired 20 30 40 50 years you want to take something away from us to benefit active workers who, in some cases, are making four times, five times the amount of money that we we will ever make. And but, I think criminal. So uh,
2: if the city is not going to get the kind of uh, financial savings in health care that they are selling this to the public as— why are they so eager to do this? I can't see uh, them, uh, any any major citywide official, especially not the mayor, eager to um, leave retirees struggling to pay for their health care here. Why would they do it?
5: They're selling the big lie that uh, Medicare Advantage is as good as or better than Medicare. And the unions want this because they then themselves won't have to pay premium on their health insurance, and I say this all the time, I will never be one to advocate for premium because that's not my place. But right now, if you were to look at what the city is obligated to pay under the law versus what the current plan is that most, like 94% of active workers are in, the premium difference for those plans would be about $23 a month for an individual and about $210, I think, for a family per month. That's not a lot when you start to consider, you know, what what their salaries are today. I mean, the cops just negotiated a contract, if ratified, would give their top pay cops one hundred and thirty three thousand dollar salaries. That's nowhere near what what a retiree would make. protect what a retiree would have, because then once they're retired and then they end up leaving on a 50 percent pension. Then you know, you know that because your pensions are, are a fixed income, your raises – you don't even get raises in retirement. You only get like a 1% to 3% on the first $18,000 of your salary increase. So this year's raise was the 3%. It was the highest I'd seen in decades was what, 540 bucks? That's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Protect yeah. what your future is because you'll never make a lot of money, and they're they're not recognizing that because they don't see the difference.
2: Uh, we're talking with uh, Marianne Pizzatola. She is the president of the New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees. All right, Marianne, one of the few reasons that I see uh, to be optimistic about this mm-hmm. is that there are some unusual coalitions forming to fight against this. In the city council, for instance, You're seeing the more progressive left-wing members uh, speak out loudly against this, but you're also seeing some of the more conservative right-wing members speak out loudly against this. What are the next steps, and is there any chance this stops right now?
5: Well, um, what are the next steps? Uh, The next steps are we have been trying to push legislation through the City Council, and the, legis- and the Speaker went on the record about two weeks ago saying she was not going to allow our proposed bill to pass the City Council. Wow. It's been sitting there since December, and she's not permitted it to have a get a bill number, so I can't even get it introduced. So we're holding a rally on Tuesday at City Hall at noon to urge the Council to allow our bill to be introduced and protect retirees like they said they wanted to when we had the hearing in January. Um, we are also working on litigation, because if I have to litigate this again, we're going to do it. They have to acknowledge how this method of what they're trying to do, this plan, will harm people. For example, I have retirees that live in continuing care residential communities. These are, these are residential communities that you can go in as assisted living, you know, independent, go transition to assisted memory or nursing care. They have a medical director they ask you to sign a contract when you move into them because they're the ones that take care of you with dignity through your end of life. So these are usually our single seniors. They don't accept Medicare Advantage plans or HMOs. And now what's going to happen to them? They are either going to have to leave their residential community or they're going to have to absorb the full cost of all of their insurance because their residential community doesn't accept a Medicare Advantage plan. Mm. There's there's so many problems with this that they're not even wanting to listen the mayor has refused to listen to us or meet with us since this started um it this this even the speaker the speaker has never met with me personally and it's not from a lack of trying and, and, we've really been trying to be polite about this but this is really
6: this is frustrating so that's
2: a tuesday at noon at city hall anybody's welcome to go uh, even if they're yes. not affected by this and show their support for new york's retirees
5: well, let's make this a national thing because, Frank, that's what, you, what we had talked yep, about, right? Absolutely. This is happening all over America because of a federal rule change done in 2000 that allows former, your unions or your former employers to auto-enroll you into a Medicare Advantage plan even if you don't want to. By law, they have to give you an opt-out, like an ability to say, hey, I don't want that. But they don't have to give you something to opt-out into thereby divesting themselves of their full insurance responsibility. This falls squarely on Congress to fix. So what we did was for this, like I'm not juggling enough. A bunch of us ladies decided we, we don't even, we don't have enough wars to handle. We need to take this back to the federal level where this started, because this is happening all over the country. Retirees are calling us going, hey, how did you fight this? Because they're doing this to us now. Please help us. How did you do this? So we're trying to teach them and to know that employers and our former labor who would never have done this, labor leaders would never have sold out their retirees, privatizing a public health benefit, Medicare. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, but it's not okay. So we know we need to not just fight it on our local level. We need to get Congress to change that rule that was changed in 2000 that permitted auto-enrollment, into these privatized Medicare Advantage plans. And this is big lobby because now we're going up against big insurance companies. I mean, we're fighting Aetna. Absolutely. So So, we want to get together on a national level. So
2: you're battling in the the courts. You're uh, trying to get a a vote on this city council Mm. legislation. And now you're uh, pushing back against the federal legislation from 23 years ago as well. Yeah, I'm Sicilian, no, so I'm. <laughs> no wonder you're awake right now, Marian. You don't have time to sleep. Hey, a, a couple of
6: double
2: a, a couple of people have questions for you, Marianne. Hang on, Neil <laughs> is on Staten Island. Neil, remind me, are you affected by this? Yes, I am. Okay, good. Well, what was your question or your comment for Marianne?
7: Yeah, you know, you, it's not two hundred fifty thousand. It's got to be two hundred fifty thousand plus spouses that might make it three hundred fifty thousand. What I want to know is. When all those people hit that plan on September 1st, when somebody needs some sort of service, it's impossible for them to get it. There's just too many people and too little administrators of a health plan. How do they do that?
5: (laughs) Well, they're saying it's a national health care plan. But what we are finding um, through the due diligence of the retirees is we're learning that there are a lot of doctors that refuse to accept Medicare Advantage. Um, or or won't even accept the plan for payment. So that's how we're building our litigation against them. But according to Aetna, you should be able to go to any doctor, and, but we yeah. clearly know that that's yeah, not Yeah,
2: thanks, safe. Neil. In your letter in the Sunday New York Daily News, you say that the city, their claim that 88% of providers will uh, take this sort of health care, mm-hmm. you say that's bogus.
5: It is, because... Why would it, if I was a big, huge company and I was trying to boast about the size of, of my network, why would I say 88% of the doctors that we currently see are in the Aetna network? Why wouldn't I tell you how many doctors in America take Aetna Medicare Advantage? Uh, we found out the last time we we looked at this type of a network size that there was a 25% difference. Now, Aetna is a bigger company than the last vendor, so I would think that that number would be a little bit higher, but as you get older, you need more doctors, and we all don't stay in the same areas. So definitely, I'm telling you, <laughs> they would they would be able to say that. And if already today we where they rolled this, tried to start rolling this plan out March 10th, we already have doctors and communities tweeting me, emailing me, saying we're not taking Medicare. Uh, Medicare."
2: Marianne, uh, thank you uh, for what you're doing for uh, retirees all over the country. uh, You're doing uh, God's work on this, and keep at it. Thank you.
5: (laughs) Well, you're welcome, and thanks for having us. I just want to say one thing. We did start a new Facebook page called NOSOM, N-O-S-O-M. It's just taking off. It's called National Organization to Save Original Medicare, it's in addition to the, our group, but this one is specifically for retiree organizations that are dealing with this around the country. We want to be able to help you and get experts together to help us and get our Congress people to fix what this this clearly is a mistake.
2: Marian, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Best Thanks, of luck Frank. to you. Keep us posted.
5: I will. Take it easy.
2: Thank you. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano.
0: Straight ahead.
2: Digable Planets. Uh, you want to know what kind of music we're playing, join our Facebook group. Just go to uh, Facebook and search M-O-R-A-N-O, radio fans and haters. I uh, want to welcome aboard again all of our new listeners at uh, WLVL, hometown 1340 AM in Niagara County. Thrilled uh, to be joining a terrific lineup of, uh, of hosts on that station, including bill O 'Reilly, including um, you know Derek Evans, including Doug Steffen, who does the Good Day Show who's uh, terrific and a uh, number of other terrific personalities and if you want to uh, jump on board with any portion of our discussion you can do so 800 848 222 I want to thank again uh, my friend and colleague Curtis Slewo for sitting in on Friday. I heard a bit of Friday's show. I thought it was uh, I thought it was great. I thought he did a great job and uh, I um, I appreciate him uh, him subbing and I know he has a lot of other on-air commitments so glad he was able to do this as well. I, wa- I had given up booze for 40 days, and uh Thursday night after sundown, which was 743, not that anyone was counting, was the end of my Lenten fast. And I don't just give up booze, I give up everything. I basically I do a fast for 40 days. No bread, no uh no sugar, no, no fat, nothing, right? Um and but and no booze. So I made Thursday night the greatest rookie mistake that you can make. Which is, I went way too hard in terms of my return to uh, drinking, and uh, I, I, I was feeling this the next day, buddy. I, I never, I wouldn't say I was hungover because <laughs> I've read descriptions of people that are hungover and they describe headaches and things along those lines, but I was not feeling great uh, after that. Went a little too, little too hard on the sauce on Thursday night, but it was very funny. Um, I went out to dinner with my wife and uh, some of my siblings on Thursday, and every we do this usually it's an annual tradition. It's part of a whole family weekend we do, and uh, we um, were at dinner, and I uh, I mentioned, all right, we're going to try this new karaoke place afterwards. Now, this new karaoke place it had closed down three years ago, right before the pandemic, maybe even more than that, maybe four years ago. And I said, "All right, okay, it's reopened. I haven't been to this place. I haven't vouched for this place. And I went online. I read all these online reviews of this particular place. Uh, it's a small business, so I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, trash them. And they, um, they, the, everyone says it's great with one problem. A whole bunch of people say the bartender is incredibly mean and incredibly rude. And I'll be honest, I've never seen this before." where you see this many different people all claiming that the same bartender is a jerk. I mean, you see one comment, one person has a bad experience, two comments. But I'm talking about a dozen comments here. And my sister-in-law says, oh, don't worry about it. Every bartender is rude. Within seconds of us entering this establishment, seconds, this um, bartender immediately begins feuding with my sister-in-law with uh, my cousin-in-law you know, you name it i mean I, I mean and then they were apoplectic and i warned them i said i warned you i warned you that this is exactly what was going to happen and sure enough they felt that he was then punishing our group by not putting our songs on even though we paid for songs because we had gotten into all these various tiffs. But uh, a fun time nonetheless. But you know what it is? It's when, when drug addicts, like a heroin addict or something, gets out of rehab, they've essentially detoxed for a couple of months usually, and they don't have those her- that heroin in their system anymore. And then when they go out and finally relapse and go out and buy heroin again, They buy heroin at the dose that they used to do heroin at, which they used to be able to do because their tolerance was so high. That is, on a very small scale, exactly what happened to me, is uh, you saw me basically consume martinis at the rate that I used to consume them, only to be taught quite a lesson there. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello
8: to Charlie in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Frank. A uh, Very good show. Very good guest you had on. When here, two quick things I just want to say about that though, regarding what she had to say. I think the 9-11 people should be taking care of people who worked during 9-11 who were just involved. And I think most of the people in the country would agree with me. And somehow, either through the federal government, the state government, the city government, however it happened, I think the 9-11 people should be taken care of. I think most people would agree with me. I think you would agree with me at that too, right? But but, uh, the second thing I want to say, it's really important, is you know, Mayor Eric Adams our current mayor, he's doing so much for the illegal aliens, for the illegal immigrants. And when they do that, he says, well, this is who we are, meaning as Americans, this is who we are. And anytime you try and push back against that and say, well, wait, there are American citizens that need help. You know is the response that you always get is well, you're just xenophobic or you're just racist or you're just mean spirited No, Frank, you and I were born here in America, and that means something, and these illegal aliens in the meaning illegal they cross our border in this case, in many cases our southern border, but now also our northern border too. They cross our borders illegally and they enter our country illegally, and they're like squatters, they don't belong here. And we're spending tens of millions of dollars, the city of New York, trying to take care of them. This is money that could go to help the retirees, don't you think?
2: Well, uh, thank you, Charlie. Great points. Great points. All I do uh, think that that is a wonderful point to bring up. You know, the we're we're talking about saving six hundred million dollars on retiree health care in these cities. But you're Right. You know, we're spending a billion dollars for all sorts of care for the migrants. All right. Uh, we'll move on to some other things as well. If you want to, you can also email me on this subject or any other subject at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Or you can even find me on Twitter. At Frank Moreno, that's uh, Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. We got commendations coming up and your phone calls as well as a few other stories that you might have missed throughout the the weekend and uh, since I left the airwaves on Thursday morning. Some good stuff coming your way over the course of the next three hours. Oh, by the way. You can also find us on Instagram at Morano Vision. That's M O R A N O Vision. And you know, I've been trying to model as much of the other side of Midnight merchandise as we can, and it is becoming quite a seller. Uh, My, I've been getting a lot of photos from folks that have been uh, wearing these. So, if you want to check this out, you can go to our online store. and uh, check that out. If you've used the, the uh, passcode FRANK15, you save some money. Keep asking questions.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're
1: running a strange program, y'all.
0: Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: Uh, this weekend was Easter weekend for many Christians. For Orthodox Christians, I know that it was Palm Sunday, and I believe next Sunday is uh, Easter for Orthodox Christians. And it was uh, it was Passover for Jewish folks, and I believe it was still Ramadan for Muslim folks. So it was a, a very, it was sort of a a spiritual equinox, all the religions having their their spiritual days at once. And there was um there, there were a couple of things that I took note of this weekend. One, this is the, I think, third or fourth Easter, third Easter since COVID. And, well, no, fourth, if you include the one in 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020. And uh church attendance has really never recovered. And there is a time of this is a time of shrinking church membership. And according to the polls, which we've cited on this program before, a record number of Americans, a record low number of Americans say that religion is very important to them. But Jesus remains a uniquely powerful and popular figure, not just in religiosity, not just in historical culture, not just in American culture, but in politics. And there is a great divide over what he stands for. You have a lot of people that, um, you know, there's this big TV ad campaign. You've probably seen it. I've even seen it during some baseball games where, with the slogan, he gets us. All of us. And you have the words written, Jesus didn't want us to act like adults. And Jesus loved the people we hate. Both end with the slogan, he gets us, all of us. Those ads are part of a series that started on TV and online the previous March and are going to continue to run with new installments at least until March of 2025. It's the he gets us campaign. They say they plan on spending a billion dollars. On their efforts, including broadcasts, paid partnerships with professional sports teams, distribution on T-shirts, an associated website offers Bible reading programs, a number to send prayer requests by text message, and the opportunity to connect to a local Protestant or a Catholic church, the campaign which promotes Jesus as the answer to polarization in American society has itself actually become a subject of Polarization, as you might imagine. Some progressives find he gets us, the whole ad campaign, very suspect because because of its financial backing, mostly from anonymous donors, but also from David Green, who's the CEO of the Hobby Lobby lobby chain of craft stores. Now, I happen to catch a little bit of the the C-SPAN program, Washington Journal. Uh, yesterday morning, on uh, Easter Sunday morning, which I don't generally do. But I just I was looking for something else, and I stumbled upon it, and I stopped, which I rarely do. And they asked the question that I'm going to ask you because I thought it was such an interesting question because it caused me to stop and think about what my answer to that is. And I'll tell you what answer I came up with, but I want you to listen to this question and tell me what your answer is the question was this does your religion or does your faith affect your politics 808489222 that's 808489222 since your question does your faith affect your politics or how you vote 808489222
0: A question. Since before your son burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question.
2: So um, my answer, I, I thought about this quite a bit. And initially my answer was no, it doesn't affect my politics legitimately because I look at a theological book or the Bible for answers for religious wisdom. I look at the Constitution or a state law book or books about political science for answers about government. I try not to merge the two. But then I thought to myself, the message about the Gospels that I find so appealing is essentially when Jesus says that you have to not just respect, but love your enemies and love your neighbors. And honestly, I think that I did do that. And I do do that. And I think it does affect my politics. Whenever I'm considering, um, you know, different political views, I always try to give someone not just the respect But the attention that I would if I loved them, because that's essentially what Jesus says to do. And I do think that affects my political viewpoint, because I I think it has led me to look at issues from a much broader perspective than if I was just um, an atheist. Or, for instance, if that that message from the Gospels didn't sink in with me. So I'm quite, my question for you is, what do you do? Because I know some people who are religious, and it leads them to very conservative impulses. Some people who are religious, it leads them to very liberal impulses. And sometimes the two are not so easily black and white. For instance, if you look in the black Christian church community, there are so many aspects of the black Christian church community that are deeply conservative and religious. And very socially conservative, somebody like uh, Reverend Ruben Diaz Sr., for instance, very conservative, but also very much a Democrat on fiscal issues. My aunt Camille is a um, she goes to church every day. I forgot to call her yesterday <laughs> for Easter. She's gonna she is going to give me an earful when I call her yes when I call her today. I was just running around and never chance, but I'm going to call her today, and I'm sure she will let me have it. But anyway, she, and I don't think she'd appreciate me saying this, but she goes to church every day, and she, I really do think, it, her beliefs as a Catholic had made her more um, liberal. In terms of social welfare spending, in terms of uh, tolerance for people on um, on things related to, say, immigration. So does it affect yours? 800 9222 I know some people, for instance, are um, deeply pro-life because of their religious beliefs, and that's affected the way that they voted. So does your religion affect your politics? If so, how and why? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 9222 That's 800 9222 Rick is in Elmwood
9: Park. Hello, Rick. Good morning. My apologies to Ken. I thought it was—I was hoping to talk to Avery this morning— Um, Yes. Well, you should
2: apologize to him if that's the case.
9: (laughs) Yeah, I did. Um, My religion affects my politics because as a child, I was brought up Catholic and I was not a big believer. And then I found out as I got a little bit older, us people who were skeptics were either called agnostics or atheists. And um, I've kind of led my life and my politics by that because I don't just believe what people tell me. I like to research things, and I like to research science. Yeah, so
2: in your view, then, it does not, I guess, affect your
9: politics. No, so it does It does affect my politics, because I research science stuff, and I find out that people are lying to me, and it's always the left, and they're always lying about the end of the world coming, and they're always scaring children with that. And I think it's child abuse, and I think it's offensive, and they should be in jail.
2: Right, But I'm not sure I, – I understand what you're saying about the – about trying to throw people in jail for lying. I guess I'm not clear on, on how that relates to religion.
9: I don't want to put them in jail for lying. I want to put them in jail for child abuse. Uh, because,
2: okay, okay. But I'm not clear how,
9: children, how that I'll relates you, to – go ahead. When you tell children over and over – the world is coming to an end because of global warming. That's mental child
7: abuse. Well,
2: what, what about, for instance, if, you, uh, if you're George Bush and you keep telling the world that Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction?
9: Uh, I don't know if that's child abuse because is that directed to the children? Well,
2: I know, but look at all the lives that were cost because of that lie.
9: I, I would argue it's worse. It's a war crime. I would I would argue that there were more deaths caused by the global warming
10: scam. I,
2: I you're wrong. For instance, you're wrong. The you're war. Wrong. The war in Ukraine. You're wrong. You're You're wrong. Sorry. I mean, there's just and again, I I just did, did a whole thing about how I like to listen to what everybody else is saying, but that's patently absurd. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two. You know, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you want to actually answer my question of, um, does your religion affect your politics? Um. Certain people, they embrace certain political ideas almost as if it is a religion. Now, Rick, I'm pretty sure, does that with anti-global warming. He treats not believing in global warming or climate change as if it's a religion. And I know people that do that with issue after issue. It's so, I find it so bizarre I mean, uh, I could understand you're passionate about something, but to treat it so dogmatically and say that people that want—I uh, don't know—a lower carbon footprint are gu- guilty of child abuse—it's to me, it's demented. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Helena, is it Helena or Helena in Westchester? Remind me.
11: Hi. Oh, I'm so happy to hear you. Um-
4: I'm just curious when you stopped drinking and you started drinking again did it take you less to uh,
2: get a buzz on Well yes uh, it did but I didn't really realize that until it was uh until it was a little too too late So I would just drink as I would normally drink and not really be conscious of how all that gin was soaking my brain a lot more quickly than it generally is
11: Does your personality change
2: a little bit when you drink Oh, absolutely. There was one instance on uh, late Thursday night, early Friday morning when I uh, insisted that I could leave a karaoke bar holding the glass that uh, that belongs to the bar and um somebody that worked in the bar chased me out of the bar and um and w- had, and we had a standoff over this glass. Now, what do I care about this glass? I don't care at all. But in my drunken state, I refused to give him this glass back, and I uh, I said, well, what about the two glasses that I brought in here from the last bar that I left? You're going to keep those, and I can't keep this one? I was apoplectic, and uh, I would say, yes, it does. It does change a bit when I drink that much, but not generally, though. I would think, usually it kind of tends to... Just underscore whatever mood that I'm already in. Thank you, Helena. 800-848-9222. Mary Beth is on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth.
11: Hey, how are you? How was your Easter? Great,
2: thank you. Hope yours was too.
11: Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, You know, this gets very confusing in a sense because, first of all, I do belong to a church and I consider myself religious and I think it does affect Um, Many issues politically for me Um, But it's interesting what you said about your Aunt Camille Um, She being very religious And that impacts her to vote uh, More democratic on social issues She's worried about the poor, this and that Whereas someone like myself and my friends from my church You know, that impacts us too But like the gentleman who called earlier I don't want anybody to suffer in any way, but, you know, it impacts me the way I vote about illegal immigration because I think take care of Americans first. So am I not religious? Am I religious? This opens up a lot of different questions. Well, so that, but
2: how then does, uh, let's say you had no religion, right? Let's say you were not a churchgoer, You didn't believe in God or religion. How would that affect your vote on the issue of illegal immigration? How would that change anything?
11: I don't know, because I am really. Right, right.
2: Understood. <laughs> so I, Understood. I don't
11: know what it's like not to be. But it's not just, you know, illegal immigration. It's abortion. It's, you know, the the laws that are not being passed to keep the general public safe. I mean, these are all things that people who love and care about each other think about, and maybe you don't have to be religious to love and care for other people, but when you are deeply religious, I think maybe you do more. Right. I well, don't know if i, um, yeah. I I don't know, I'm speaking for myself, yeah, I don't know no. I, I, I I think I you you me. make sense mary
2: beth i'm just I'm just curious um basically in how you vote differently being religious versus if you weren't, but uh, your point's well taken, which is there's no way to remove uh something that's so central to your being from your consciousness. I get that, thank you, yeah, I mean,, uh, I think I was talking to Bill Donahue one time, he's the president of the Catholic League. And he was telling me that the Catholic Church sort of offers something for everybody in that they're very liberal when it comes to things like health care and spending and taking and uh, taking care of the poor and even immigration. And then when it comes to social issues like uh, like uh, abortion and euthanasia, they're very conservative and and cultural issues and, uh, you know, that kind of a thing. And, you know, there is some truth to that, because if you look at one of the groups that has been—and this is documented, it's not me saying this—one of the groups that has been the biggest proponent of open borders over the last 25 years, it has been the Catholic Church. Because with Native Americans—not Native Americans as in American Indians, but Native-born Americans going to Catholic Church less and less, those pews in those border states— are being filled by illegal immigrants because so many of them are such devout Catholics. So a lot of churchgoers, especially Catholic churchgoers, they're all for this illegal immigration because it's keeping a lot of these churches in business. I remember Larry Kudlow. I think he's changed his tune a little bit recently. But Larry Kudlow loved open borders. Larry Kudlow was, by his own admission, an open borders guy. He loved that it was good for Catholicism. And he loved that the cheap labor was good for business and good for lower prices. Now I think Trump whipped him into shape a little bit, and now he's, pardon the pardon the pun, he's found religion on this. But I'm just curious if religion affects how you vote, and how, for instance, if you're someone that is normally, if you're somebody that would vote strict conservative, right? but on say one issue your church attendance has caused you to deviate to be a little liberal what is it for instance i uh, i i knew i had a friend she was a um school teacher and she was absolutely against school vouchers. She was a union school teacher. She was against charter schools. She basically towed the UFT party line on on everything related to education. And then she would vote straight down the line conservative. And I said, Carol, why do you vote straight conservative if you are so against what conservatives want to do in terms of education. And she says, uh, because abortion is a sin, and I am hopeful that someday some president will appoint enough Supreme Court justices to change that Roe versus Wade and put an end to this uh, abortion, uh, whatever word she used. And I I can't argue with that. That's an example of how her religion affected her, her voting patterns. I'm just curious if that's the case for you. Gina is in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina.
6: Hi, Frank. Frank, I got a good laugh picturing you uh, arguing about those two glasses you brought into the bar. <laughs>
2: yeah, I can tell you the, uh, the Asian-American gentleman I was arguing with did not get a laugh, nor did my wife and sister who were uh, standing outside behind me uh, uh, trying to calm me down as I'm, I'm red-faced screaming at this guy.
6: Well, the retelling was comical. I enjoyed that. Wonderful, but wonderful. I, I, I think what you just said about your friend Carol affected a lot of people in the last election or the election before the last election. Um, you know, years ago, I used to think that I was pro-choice. But years ago, they said that it wasn't really a baby at a certain point, you know, in a pregnancy. But we've come so far in understanding the development of a fetus now. That the more education you have, in, in, you know, in combination with your faith, it creates your values. And, of course, it's going to affect your politics.
2: Well, I think that makes a lot of sense, Gina. I think a lot of people might arrive at that same conclusion on abortion that you did from a scientific perspective even taking religion out of the uh, out of the equation. But uh, yeah, a lot of folks might get there from a religious point of view as well. Thank you. Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon.
12: Hey, Frank, I'll uh, I'll answer your question in a second, but I feel like I have to call you out. Um, you know, we all know that you, you love to have some uh, drinks and, you know, you spend a lot of your show talking about it. I find it hard to believe that you had to look up the symptoms of a hangover you're telling me you've never had a full-blown hangover before Uh, that's correct okay not since i maybe
2: i was 17 i think i might have had one when i was 17 or 18 but but no
12: okay all right all right fair enough um as far as your question uh i think it's yeah it's impossible to to separate the two at the at the core of it especially you know on some of the stronger issues like uh like you said you know pro-life or or, um, but I, I thought that was a good point about your Aunt Camille. I mean, you know, putting yourself in another person's shoes and uh, with social programs, you know, I think that's, um, that's also valid.
2: Well, yeah, thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. Uh, those of you that are holding, we'll get to you in a moment. 800 848 if you want to comment on this or uh, anything else we're talking about. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Marano. Uh, busy weekend for me. A fun weekend, but a weekend that it's just, I mean, jam-packed. Boom, 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 boom. Still not caught up on um, on the email uh, from, from the weekend. So uh, Thursday I mentioned my return to drinking. And then Friday we went to uh, m- my cousins and my Aunt Madeline, all live in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So where else would you go on Easter weekend but to Bethlehem? That's certainly where Jesus went, right? So I, um, I, w- we went out there on Friday, had a, a great time, and, um, you know, got to see some family. Uh, Carmine covered, colored some Easter eggs. He ran around with some of his younger cousins. Not, not younger than him, but they're younger than me. And then we go back uh, for Friday night. Saturday, we went in uh, and saw a show for Rachel's birthday. We saw Moulin Rouge, which I really enjoyed. I was always a big fan of the film Moulin Rouge with uh, Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman and John Leguizamo. And uh, I, I Rachel had never seen the film, but uh, she was interested based on what she had heard to see the show, and so she went there. We went there. And we're driving around, and uh, look, I guess a lot of people had the same idea of being in the theater district on um, on uh, on a Saturday afternoon. So we're struggling to park. And I said, all right, go to XYZ Parking Garage. I just downloaded this. I have this app, not just downloaded it, where you can find discounted parking. And I find, okay, $42. That's not bad. three or four hours, especially considering the garage that we just left, quoted us $80. So we start headed towards that garage. Meanwhile, the clock is ticking in terms of our curtain time. And we're meeting my sister, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law. And so the clock's ticking. And I buy $42 for this parking garage. What happens? Well, seconds after I buy this $42 situation, we find a spot for free on the street. So $42 wasted. I said, oh man, I'm trying to get my finances under control here. Let me call the parking folks, best parking, and see if they can do anything for me. So they give they agree to give me a $30 credit f- towards the $42. I don't know why they couldn't just give me the whole $42. But they agreed to give me a a, four, a $30 credit that I can use for a year the next time that, uh, you know, that I use this app. But I'm going to talk to American Express and see if I can uh, get that other $12 back or maybe the whole 42 because because uh, to hate to do that. I don't know when I'm going to be able to use it again. And uh, I really think that um, they should have just given me – and I called back right away. Uh, so I, they should have just given me the $42 back. But – Whatever uh, that my wife points out that that happens every time that I use this app. We we hunt around for the garage that I booked and then uh, I never we don't end up making there for whatever reason. Now, I guess it wound up essentially the same thing because I was going to pay forty two dollars to park and we found parking on the street for free. So I, I did pay forty two dollars to park. But had I not paid that forty two dollars, we would have parked for free. So there you have it. Great show. I did recommend. I do recommend it. If you like Broadway and you like the story, and if you like Moulin Rouge, I do recommend that particular show. 800 uh, 848 That's 800-848-9222. Loretta is in Brooklyn. Hello, Loretta.
4: Good morning, Frank. How morning. are you? I'm
2: great. I'm great. Thank you.
4: Good. Um... Well, I don't, I don't know about all this religion stuff. I was baptized Catholic, but I'm not religious, I am spiritual.
2: Okay, and, and do that, you do you think your spirituality affects your politics?
4: No. Um no. I my mindset um, there's a gospel song called Child of the Universe, and I know it by heart. Uh one of the lines says, um, whether you uh, understand it or not, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Everything under the sun, the moon, and the stars happens with God's permission. The good, the bad, and the in-between of it. And um, I was calling in a gospel station They're Jamaican people uh, until last year when they went off the air. Now they're on the internet and I heard on YouTube but I don't have a computer but I did call my minister for Christmas. I tried to call him for Easter but he's in Jamaica now and I told him when I called him for Merry Christmas I said I'm not religious but I am spiritual and you help me grow- to grow closer to the Lord. Wonderful. And um uh Euthanasia. I heard you talking about euthanasia. Papa was right when I was a kid. He said it's the kindest thing to do when nothing else can be done. And I explained this to my Hasidic doctor that I had some years back because she didn't understand about euthanasia. She had nine children. She would have had ten, but she had a miscarriage. Mm. She's married to a rabbi, so there's no birth control there. So I told her, and my cats too – I said, I love them enough to give them a good life. I had to love them even more to give them a good death.
8: Mm.
2: Yeah, I understand that, Ed Loretta. And uh, and I, thank you for the call. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that. I am not questioning why people believe what they believe religiously, right? Or, or politically, for that matter. What I am questioning and wondering the answer to is if... How what you believe religiously affects how you vote politically, right? I mean, and whatever your religion is, if you're Muslim, for instance, and you say, all right, I could never vote for uh, Donald Trump because uh, he wants a Muslim ban. I'm curious about that. If you're uh, if you're Jewish. And you vote for politicians that only support tuition tax credits for private school because you send your children to a yeshiva. I want to know about that. I want to know how your religion affects how you vote, if at all. 800 Because I'll tell you who is hoping religion plays a big role in how people vote next year. And that is Mike Pence. Mike Pence is going all in with the evangelical vote. Because while Catholics have been diminishing in numbers, evangelicals, they're growing. And their clout politically is growing. And heretofore, evangelical, and my wife's family is evangelical Christian. Uh, so, you know, I see how, how devout they are, many of them. Um, But they, I see how the evangelicals have flexed their muscle. It used to be sort of a very fringe movement, even within, uh, within both parties. But then slowly but surely they've sort of galvanized politically and Trump has benefited from that significantly. You know, William Jennings Bryan was probably the most left-wing presidential candidate of the 19th, early 20th century. A lot of you might remember him from the Scopes monkey trial. He was incredibly religious. That was one of the reasons he was so against teaching religion. He was so against teaching evolution in schools. And yet, as the nominee three times of the Democratic Party for president and the populist party, he was very far left wing on almost every political issue that you can imagine. You seem to see that a bit less than you do in the days of William Jennings Bryan and the populist party. 800 Lisa is in Manhattan. Hello, Lisa.
5: Yes. Hi. How are you? Good.
13: Thank you. Uh, hope you had a nice holiday. Appreciate it. You too. Uh, thank you. Uh, I am not a religious person, but I believe in God one hundred percent. Now, my politics have nothing to do with religion, but I'm going to comment on your friend who's a teacher about abortion. I do not believe in abortion except for God. But if you were raped, or if the mother or the child's life is in jeopardy, that's the only way I believe in it. What I want to comment in about how the Democrats and the vice president is always preaching my body, my choice. Where were they preaching that when there was a COVID vaccine, when so many people lost their job because they didn't believe in that? So isn't that a little hypocritical? I certainly I mean, think we're it We're talking is. about a human life. Yeah. I a s- baby is a human life, okay? And they're saying it's your body. No, it's murder. Unless, yeah. like I said, you were raped or you're in jeopardy or your baby's in jeopardy. Well, you're not uh, going to have a healthy life. And thanks, know? Lisa. I,
2: I think a lot of religions uh, don't make that same rape sec, rape exception that you just did. But uh, I'm not going to uh, quote from, you know, I, I can't say I have all of the positions of every uh, abortion regulation as endorsed by every church committed to memory, but. Um, I think one of the people that is going to make that same point that you just made about that inconsistency might be Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's now running for president as a Democrat. And I think that is one of the things he's going to raise. The issue of vaccine choice with the issue of choice when it comes to abortion. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 9222 That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two. 848 Two two. Eddie is in Nassau. Hello, Eddie.
9: Yeah. Hey, good morrow, Frank. Hey, look. Didn't Lyndon Johnson, when he was a senator, uh, formulate the Johnson Amendment, which uh, actually. Uh, gagged any ministers or priests or bishops or anything to say anything about politics, especially when they had to deal with the Democrats. Otherwise, they were going to be threatened. Well,
2: again, it wasn't a Democrat thing. It, it prohibited all 501c3 nonprofits from endorsing or opposing political candidates. Uh, that was back in 1954. But then in 2017, Trump signed an executive order, essentially um, easing the restrictions of the Johnson Amendment.
9: Don't you think that that's the reason why the evangelicals and everybody is starting to rise up in the political issues? It
2: might be, and that's an excellent point. However, is it the chicken or the egg, right? Because um, Trump would not have done that unless he thought that there were votes to be had there. And he would not have done that unless the evangelical voters were already organized into such a potent political force that goes far beyond Billy Graham and Jerry Falwell and the Christian coalition and could actually affect outcomes. In fact, I knew a lot of Republicans that credit Bush's victory in 2004 to a lot of evangelical voters that were coming out to vote against state initiatives on uh, gay marriage. But you're right. Uh, by lifting a lot of those restrictions on 501c3 endorsements and behavior, did that make it a little bit more palatable for certain religious leaders to preach from the pulpit? It's a great point. And the answer, I think, is maybe. eight hundred eight four eight. 9222. Ina is in
14: Manhattan. Hello, Ina. Hello. Um, good morning. Morning. Uh, what, yes. What I'm saying, religion and voting shouldn't have anything to do with each other. We vote for the best man and who is going to help the country. Because look look where we are today. Look, look the difference today because the right person didn't get into the White House. And Trump is the best man for, for to bring this. Look, now we're going to get attacked by by China, by Russia, all things. You know, so religion, they shouldn't vote because of their religion. They vote for the best one who will keep America number one in the world. Okay,
2: well, thank you, Ina. Yeah, my question is basically what people do. We all make decisions about whom to vote for based on our own set of values that are important to us. And for a lot of people, that includes religion. And for a lot of people, that means not voting for anybody that is um, pro-abortion uh, ab- uh, or not voting for anyone that uh, doesn't support school choice. Or, you know, in I know in the Hasidic Jewish community, there's a lot of people that vote specifically on the issue of not cracking down on what's going on in some of these yeshivas. Um, You know, there was a very, I don't want to be too graphic, but there was a very unique uh, circumcision uh, procedure that is not necessarily um, common. And it's called Matitzvah Bepay. And I don't want to get into what it is, But it led to some moils giving babies herpes. And uh, a lot of folks felt that the part of the reason that the D.A. wasn't going after people that did that is because he was reliant upon certain votes from the Orthodox Jewish Committee. I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm just saying that's one example of how religion Might affect your vote. 800-848-9222. Some people, for instance, are so anti-religious that might affect their vote that way. I remember when Jesse Ventura was the governor, he was the only governor in the entire country that didn't go along with National Prayer Day because he said, look, no. Uh, I think that... um, the, there's a separation between church and state. And if I go along with National Prayer Day, then you might have some atheist groups who want to come in here and have me declare on uh, National Non-Prayer Day. And I don't want to do that either. And look, you know, I kind of understood where he was coming from. You know who talks about religion more than anyone else is the uh, the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. Um, so it's certainly he talks about how it affects how he votes. Curious if it affects you. Uh, we'll can move on to some other other subjects as well. 800-848-9222. We've got accommodations coming up and a whole lot more to get to. This is The Other Side of Midnight.
0: Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.
5: Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. This is uh, Lady Marmalade. Uh, This is from the film Moulin Rouge. And this song is also featured in the musical Broadway production of uh, Moulin Rouge. So, like I said, if you like the story, if you like the music from the motion picture, then I think you're going to like the musical uh, just as well. So if you get an opportunity to... Go see it. If you get a good deal on tickets, I would uh, I would say check it out. Hey, by the way, um, it's so important, particularly when you're reading on social media, but just when you're reading the paper in general, it is so important to not just read the headlines because sometimes you read a headline and even a little, a little excerpt of the article and it makes it sound as if the story is one thing. And then you read the actual article and you say, well, wait a minute. No. Story is different. And look, I do, try, I'm, I, I do try to look at every story as objectively as possible. And when I say objectively, that doesn't mean you look at it without biases. We all have biases that we bring to everything. We're biased based on our not just our politics, but our religion, where we're from, our age. You know, for instance, if um, if there's a, 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 an article about whether or not only people born in this country should run for president, do you think I'm going to have a different point of view on that if I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger or Henry Kissinger or if I'm Frank Moreno? Probably I will. So, wh- where you? Stand depends on where you're sick, when I say I'm objective, I try to look at every article open minded and and I also try to disclose to you whatever my opinions are that might color my perception. so anyway, I see all these headlines that there's this proPublica report about Clarence Thomas accepting uh millions of dollars worth of gifts. Free luxury trips all over the world worth millions for years from a billionaire Republican donor, mega donor. And I said, wow, that's bad. I said, Oh, I'm gonna show this audience. I'm gonna show what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this was Judge so- Justice Sonia Sotomayor, and I'm gonna read the details of what Clarence Thomas did, but I'm just gonna change the name. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna say it's Sonia Sotomayor, and then I'm gonna have all these people line up and say that's outrageous. Sonia Sotomayor should be impeached. That's terrible. No justice could do that. And then I'm gonna say, oh, it's actually Clarence Thomas. But lo and behold, I am looking at this story, and if you haven't heard about it, basically uh, Clarence Thomas is on the Supreme Court. He has a rich friend, a super rich friend. Who has hosted him on his private plane, his yacht and his vacation and his vacation resort. They're friends for 25 years more. That's it. That's the story. Yet this non bombshell has triggered breathless claims that the court must be investigated and that Thomas must resign or be impeached. Um, And those demands. Are really that's the political game here. They want by uh, Thomas to resign so that Biden could appoint another justice. That's simple as this is. I'm looking at um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. He should be impeached, or if he's not impeached, I'm going to introduce articles of opinions. It's such nonsense because, um, <laughs> and because here's what I thought was going to be bad: the fact that Clarence Thomas didn't disclose any of this on his financial disclosure. Well. None of those rules were in place prior to March 14th. Now there's new rules on financial disclosure and ethical requirements for the Supreme Court. And Clarence Thomas said, well, now that this is the rule, I will disclose it. The guy has done nothing wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. I am all for ending lifetime tenure for the Supreme Court. I am all for ending this uh, this folly which the court invented for itself of uh, judicial supremacy. I uh, am all for reining in the Supreme Court so that it is not um, a super branch that gets to nullify the will of the other branches. I'm all for doing that, but this to me is only an issue because it's Clarence Thomas. And because if he were to resign or be impeached, the person who would report, appoint his replacement would appoint someone who would make decisions the opposite of Clarence Thomas. So I think this is a total non-story, this story of Clarence Thomas and his friend Harlan Crow, a wealthy Texas real estate developer. I think this is so bogus. And ProPublica, um, which is a publication that does a lot of good work. It's basically thousands of words and a dozen pages filled with adjectives that say nothing other than what I just said to you. There's nothing wrong with having a rich friend that takes you on trips. He apparently does this with a lot of his friends. And yet, they're acting as if this Crow-Thomas friendship is a scandal. It's not. It is so bogus. Um, and, look, he did nothing against the rules. So, I mean, I, I, I have nothing further to say, but people were asking me about it. And this was one of those stories where I read the headline and the mini summary that went with the article, and I thought I was going to have one opinion. And then I read the whole article, And sure enough, I had another. So that's my word of advice to you. If you are scrolling through social media, Facebook or Twitter, do not make a rush to judgment based on just a headline. Read the article. Because a lot of times headlines or even summaries can be somewhat misleading. Lopez is in the boogie down Bronx. Hello. Hey, uh... Mr.
1: Morano, God bless you. Christ be with you. Happy Easter. Thank you. Easter goes on for another week. Wonderful. You, you're welcome, uh, sir. I, I just I just called. I told the call screener that that I called to Thank you. Uh, um, I, I appreciate listening to you, and you're you're much smoother and uh, respectful and honorable. Uh, Mister
2: Sliwa. Oh well, I don't want to uh, thank you, Lopez. I appreciate that, and Happy Easter to you. Um, you know, Curtis it, does a great job, and um, he <laughs> has a little bit of a different style than me. Uh, But, you know, different people have different strengths. uh, Different people have different styles. As far as I'm concerned, um, Curtis is a brilliant entertainer and a brilliant man, quite frankly. And uh, privileged to know him. And I've learned a great deal about radio from him, especially overnight radio. And I can tell you behind the scenes, he's been a very good friend to me. So so uh, I, uh, I, you know, I appreciate the fact that you like my style as opposed to Curtis's, but... Different strokes for different folks, right? Um, I think he's, I think Curtis does a phenomenal job, honestly. All right. uh, Coming up in a moment, we will do commendations. And then I will continue with your calls. There are one, two, three open lines, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat, spayed or neutered. Other side of midnight I am Frank Moreno Well uh, if you have waited the entire holiday weekend just to hear some nice things about people then now is your lucky day your lucky hour your lucky moment because Here on the other side of midnight, this time each week, and again, we want to welcome aboard all of our new listeners on WLVL. Talk 1340, hometown 1340 in Niagara County, Buffalo, New York. It is now time for the often imitated, never quite duplicated, recently Hall of Fame inducted.
0: The other side of midnight presents...
2: Let me begin by commending the Yukon men's basketball team. They won the National College Basketball um, Championship. And there were a lot of people, 45,000 to be precise, that were gathering to greet them on this parade and rally in Connecticut. And I love uh, that there's this degree of fans among the population in Connecticut. And I also love that I get the opportunity to say Connecticut to honor our national champions. So congratulations to UConn, to all of the alumni of UConn. I'm sure you're very proud. And especially to all of the uh, fans around the country. Let me commend. Chesterbrook, Pennsylvania. I I must be honest, I don't think I ever heard of Chesterbrook, Pennsylvania, before reading that uh, this apparently is the number one neighborhood in the entire country. That's right. Uh, Chesterbrook is once again... The, it's right outside of Philadelphia. The number one neighborhood, this little 5,400 towns, a tiny little suburb, has a 1.5% poverty rate, a 2.4% unemployment rate, and has for the fourth consecutive year taken the top slot in ranking site niche, Niche's survey of the best place to live in America. Now, that's saying quite a bit. The best place to live in America is Chesterbrook, Pennsylvania. If anybody lives in Chesterbrook, Pennsylvania, or used to live in Chesterbrook, Pennsylvania, call back and let me know if it's really as great as they say. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. I want to commend Saeed Rashed al mayri who at four years old, this little boy from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates... You know, I don't know about you, but whenever I say the term Abu Dhabi, I, I think of the old Garfield, you know, uh, the old Garfield cartoon. Abu Dhabi. You know, he's always threatening to send the other cat, Mermel, to Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, or what they lack. Abu Dhabi, ba ba ba, ba. But anyway, this young man is actually from Abu Dhabi. And um, he has become the world's youngest published author he has sold over a thousand copies of his children's book the elephant saeed and the bear which tells a tale teaching children about kindness through an unlikely friendship between two animals i think it's great i may order this for carmine because carmine has a full library of books he's got maybe a hundred books he's building his own book collection to rival mine and yet he only wants to read the same four books (laughs) So he loves uh, Dominic Carter's daughter's book, Eve the Kid Reporter. I read that five times a day. I read Goldilocks and the Three Bears probably ten times a day. And then um, there's also a version of Little Red Riding Hood, which we read maybe twice a day. And then there's this Mets alphabet book that tells the alphabet in New York Met terms and baseball terms we read that maybe twice a day and then um, there's a series of bo- bo- books about Ash Monkey Ash Monk- B- Monkey goes to the doctor, Ash Monkey does that and he likes that, but he doesn't usually like to finish the whole book, he likes to start it, and I don't know why Like, wh- wh- I- I'm guessing he's not following much of the story why are the pictures in Goldilocks and the Three Bears so much better than the pictures in that book I don't. I don't understand but whatever, he likes what he likes. So I'm going to try this Saeed Rashid Al-Mairi book. And you know what I'm going to say to him? Kid, you're 17 months old. Clock's ticking. You want to break this record from Saeed Rashid Al-Mairi? You better get to writing. Take those 20 words that you've learned how to speak and start putting them in words so that we can in print. So we can, you can start pulling your weight around here. All that whole milk we're putting in your bottle... Not free. All those chicken nuggets we're stocking the refrigerator with? It eh, costs money. Start paying your way around here, buddy. Hey, I want to commend the um WWE because they set a record, an audience record for the two-day WrestleMania event. Uh WWE's WrestleMania 39 uh was a two-day event that took place at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. This delivered the streamer, uh, the, uh, it was on Peacock Network. This delivered Peacock's highest weekend usage ever and generated the most hours watched of any live event on Peacock with the exception of the Super Bowl. I mean, that's impressive. For all my criticism of it, for all Matt Blaze's criticisms of it, uh, for them to do this well in terms of viewership, I think it's really extraordinary. Um, con- congratulations to them. You can see why they're selling for twenty billion dollars to the UFC. Hey, I want to commend contact with nature. More data suggesting the exact same thing. You know, you ever hear those commercials that um, John Katzamitidis do- does, or see them on television, where he's advertising um, these great condos in Florida or in or in Coney Island, where he says. You know, if you breathe in that beautiful ocean air, it'll add 10 years to your life. Well, it turns out there's something to that because there is even more evidence that suggests enjoying the sun and nature can boost mental health and following nature trails, trekking in the mountains, enjoying the ocean breeze, bathing in forests, beautifying gardens are just examples of outdoor activities that can do wonders for your mental health. Spending time in nature, especially with exercise, can improve your mental health and well-being. And uh, there, this is a study that was uh, published. In, well, um, Mary Hunter led this study, and it was published in a legitimate publication. Oh. Uh, The study was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. It's a reputable journal. There are no slouches over there. I want to commend Bernard Arnault. Do you know who Bernard Arnault is? Well, he has been named the uh, number one person on the Forbes list. 74 years old, uh, he has a worldwide domain encompassing 75 brands, including Louis Vuitton, Tiffany Diamond rings, Christian Dior dresses, and Sephora high-end cosmetics. He leaped past American technology titans like Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and he has an estimated fortune of $211 billion. He is, at the moment, the world's richest man. So congratulations to him. If you wanted to, I mean, give me a little something in exchange for a, not an exchange, but in appreciation for the commendation, you know where to find me. Hmm? P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York. You know, I mean, think about it. If he sent me $10,000, wouldn't be life changing, but it would be life improving. Right? he wouldn't even, that's probably 45 minutes worth of interest. So if you know Bernard or no, tell him, hey, Frank Marino gave you a commendation. Uh, I want to give a commendation to Kenneth Carter and Crone Brown. These men are trash collectors in Albany, New York, and they helped two people escape a massive fire. That destroyed four buildings early Wednesday morning. This is scary stuff, and thank God these men were there. The fire broke out on a building in an, a neighborhood in Albany. I'm very familiar with. It took city firefighters four hours to get these flames under control, and these guys risked their own lives to help rescue strangers. And um, I I think these guys are real heroes, real heroes. I uh, want to commend, similarly, Jeff Ninneman. Jeff Ninneman is a similar hero. He's a golfer. And he was in the middle of his round during a Southern California Golf Association championship. And then he saw um, a car drive into the water. This guy... Dives into the water, finds the submerged submerged car, and gets the passenger out of the car. So, without hitting anyone in the lot, the vehicle splashed into the canal, running between the greens on two holes. And Nineman was on the first tee of one of the courses when the incident happened. And... When something like this happens, someone submerged in a car underwater. What do you have? What do you think, legitimately? Three minutes? At most? Four minutes? This guy rushed into action along with another golfer, Brett Fox. um, And they were trying to get the door open on the car. And because the driver is in the car... They couldn't get the door open. You know how sometimes when the driver's in the car, the car locks from the outside. So they couldn't get the door open. And they finally, these two of them, underwater, they kept trying on, on the driver's side door. And look, they're trying to communicate with each other underwater. These two golfers to say what to do. And one guy, Fox, tells Nineman. Swim over to the passenger side door because maybe the driver's attempting to get out from there. The driver started to come through, but he's still not fully functional. He's half passed out, swallowed a lot of water. Fox, the uh, one of the golfers, thought he was trying to get out through the passenger side. So Nineman went over to the passenger side, and he was on that side, and eventually Fox got him out of the driver's side window. I mean... They, someone on the bank of the canal tossed a rope down and the driver was pulled up the concrete bank to safety. So, um, these guys, both Mr. Nineman and Mr. Fox, also real heroes. Uh, I want to commend Elvis Andrews, White Sox infielder. Elvis Andrews recorded his 2000th career hit on Wednesday against the Giants. He is the fourth active major league baseball player to reach that threshold joining some pretty exclusive uh, pretty uh, pretty exclusive club Miguel Cabrera, Joey Votto, Nelson Cruz. He's only the 290th player in the history of major league baseball to get 2000 hits. And he's a relatively uh relatively young man. So he still has time to I I don't know that he'll make three thousand, but he's had very much a late career rejuvenation, which I like to see. I, I like rooting for the older players, and um, I love that he's doing well now. And I I, I would maybe he'll get twenty five hundred hits. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Maybe four or five more good years could pull it off. Um, which would be an, an amazing accomplishment. And ultimately. I want to thank cold climates and give a commendation to cold climates. Uh, Florida is a popular retirement spot because of its warm temperatures and sizzling beaches, not to mention the lower taxes. But if you're looking to live for many years after retirement, scientists recommend looking for a more frigid area up north. New research finds that moderately cold temperatures increase a person's longevity and decrease susceptibility to age-related diseases. I believe this. I totally believe this. This is because the cold prevents proteins from clumping together. Isn't that interesting? New research from German researchers. The Germans know. They do. And then lastly, I want to give a, a joint commendation To our uh, producer, Alex Barnard, and his longtime companion, Callie Linville-Sconyers, who are now celebrating one year in a relationship. This is more a commendation for Callie. In fact, she shouldn't even get a commendation. She should get a medal or a Purple Heart or something. see that is correct. I see Alex here for a few hours every day. I can't imagine what it must be like to be in a relationship with him. The guy is is wound very tight. He's stressed out over everything. He's pacing and sighing like crazy. And I had hoped that Callie, who I met, who came to my house at my barbecue uh, with Alex, she seems very chill. And I hope she would chill him out a little bit. And maybe she is. But she's chilling him out maybe when he's not working because he's not chilled out here. Um, but ha- congratulations to both of them. Um, obviously, none of us thought that anybody could stand to be in a relationship for a full year with Alex. And the fact yes, that, that, that she's correct. managed it is very impressive. And so far, unlike a lot of Alex's previous relationships, he has not yet suffered any major injuries. Hasn't come crawling in here on crutches or in a cast or anything like that. Is taking a few more sick days now than he used to. But uh, I'm not sure that's attributable (laughs) to Cali. Congratulations to both of them. And uh, who knows? Maybe they'll get married soon and be as miserable as the rest of us are. Uh, Just kidding. Sort of. All right. um, Commendations to everybody that made the list. We'll take your calls in a moment. One, two, three open lines. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Other side of midnight. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. Mother's Side at Midnight with Frank Marano. Frank Marano. <laughs>
2: This is "Joker and the Thief" uh, by Wolfmother. Uh, this song uh, I like. I've heard it before, but it was featured in the uh, most recent episode of Ted Lasso, which I must say I am enjoying this season very much. So we're watching um, two. Uh, we're watching one season as a couple, Rachel and me. We're watching one series. Uh, that's Ted Lasso. I'm watching one season series on my own. That's Picard. That's almost done, and then I am together. We're watching Cheers, and then we started The Wire, but we have so far only gotten up to the first episode. But you know what it is? These half-hour shows—they're so tempting when you only have a half hour in your day. And, and I mean, if you think about it, the time in after dinner and after Carmine goes to sleep. That we can actually watch television. It's about a half hour, so to commit to these hour shows, it is it is challenging. 800 uh, 848 I'll get to your calls in a moment. Alex Barnard is here. Hello, Alex. Hello, Frank.
15: Thank you for that commendation. You're
2: welcome. Well deserved. Thank
15: you. Uh, especially for Cali. Um, exactly. I will say, our anniversary was last week. Um, not this week. So, I thought you were going right, to well, make the commendation... You, if you were going to have made a commendation, a couple of facts here, you would have probably done so on our actual anniversary. Would First you of not? all,
2: you—what uh, date was your anniversary? Monday, last Monday. Monday. weren't you off sort of like three days last week? No, no, no yes, no, no, that no, no, is no, no. correct. I
15: thought I—I I legitimately went home feeling run down, and when I woke up, I had a sore throat and thought I had COVID, like. Yeah,
2: I'm not questioning you taking a sick day, but I'm saying, didn't you, you know, uh, weren't you not here to be the recipient of the commendation?
15: I was here Monday. Oh, you were here Monday. All I was right, here well, Monday. I'm
2: sorry. Well, then I take back everything I said. I well, would, no, I withdraw my commendation. <laughs> and you know what? I, I, I don't think. Look, uh, we, we we I like Callie, so we we are happy to give her a commendation. But I don't think you can really have a commendation for no, I or have an anniversary for. Something that's not a a marriage or an engagement or an like a, a cohabitation. Well, that's not true. Well, but so what are you celebrating the year your year anniversary of your first date?
15: Yeah, yes, essentially. Well, you yes. hesitated there. Yeah, that would be your first. date. Well, when date. you say
2: essentially, what is essentially?
15: Well, yeah, no, because we had been talking maybe a couple of days before we went yeah, on our first. But you date, see what I'm saying? But that's
2: the gray area you're you're still in exactly the same place that you were on your first date as you were when you were talking, as you've said it, and we know what talking means, three days before that. So it's, it's such a gray area. See, marriage, boom, it's clear. Um, engagement, clear. Buy a house together or move into a place together, boom. There's hard and fast dates. When we're dealing with the murky gray area of, of basically, you know, this relationship could be over if, if she stops responding to your text messages. It would be done. Well at that point. Yeah. yeah but, potentially. Well but do you guys live together now? No. No. All right. I I'll advert to my prior statement. So I think I should get a little leeway in the anniversary date. Okay. Well that's fair. Right.
15: I appreciate Thank the you. I appreciate you uh giving her uh much well deserved. Absolutely. Well hundred percent well
2: deserved. Um yeah. I'm not going uh, out no, on a limb here on this, right? Matt? I thought the anniversary was like the day you become exclusive. Well, that's what that's,
15: that's what I'm a saying. Good point, actually, not that's
3: like the I'm... not the day you met or started talking. Yeah, the that's... day that you
0: decided we are now in a committed relationship.
2: That's that... what I'm saying. Is how do you, it's so it's such a gray area. These non-engagement, non-non-concrete relationship milestone. Anniversary. Back in the day, you'd give somebody your pin to wear, right? That was the day. That was the... Right. Day. Or your
3: letterman's you jacket would, but, or something yeah. like that. But yeah.
2: there is a day
3: when you became exclusive. I would think that would be the anniversary. Like, I could tell you this. You know, I'm not married. I don't know. I
2: have no idea... Any of those days. Yeah. I know the day I moved into the house, though. Uh, boom. That's that, your that day I know. That's your anniversary. Do you right. celebrate your anniversary that day? I think about it, but we don't really celebrate <laughs> it. <okay? laughs> I just go, oh, here's the day we moved in. That's hey, it. Hey, remember here's that? We, yeah. Remember when we did that? It's been 16 years. we've <laughs> been here. Uh, Captain That's Romance. <laughs> That's uh, yeah, Matt Blaise. Um Well,
15: that was the day that I remember, though. It was just the day that we went for our first date.
2: All right. Well, do you get her an anniversary gift on that day?
15: I did. I got her a date. Or I got a date. I got her a. I got her some. I got her some
2: gifts. Yeah. Okay, you did. Okay. Yeah. Did she get you a gift? Yes, she did. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's your anniversary. Okay. Well. All right. Well, so I'll give you a commendation with interest. Then. Well, so thank so we, you. We I appreciate it. it. We had a lot of people to commend last week. Not as you many did. this week. So, there you have it. All right. Thank you, Alex. Back to our regularly scheduled program. 848 Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Alex is no no relation to Alex Barnard that we think. Alex is in California. Hello, Alex.
7: Hi, thank you for taking my call. I just sure. wanted to say uh, some some churches are politically influential because their clergy have convinced the congregation that uh, being Christian requires supporting certain political positions. So quite recently I attended an Episcopal, Episcopalian church where the Indian minister claimed that being Christian uh, requires you to support abortion on demand and also blaming uh European American racism or overrepresentation of African Americans in the prison system.
2: Well, um, okay, Alex. You know, I don't know what to I don't know how to respond to that, but basically my only question was if your faith affects how you vote. That was my only question. And I guess it could affect how you vote for various reasons. Um, you know, I I, I go to episcopal services, I go to Catholic services, I go to Methodist services. And um I really like I really like different aspects of all three of them. But uh I don't like when they get too political. I don't like when they make a you know and I mean again, they don't really get that political, the three services that I that I choose to go to, but they they get some stuff in there. For instance, um I'm on a lot of the church email lists and some of the email lists it promotes activism in certain things that I don't care for. Uh for instance I you know I I donate money to the Episcopal Church in in where I where I go not a lot but you know I don't have a lot so and I'm happy to do it I recently I learned that the Episcopal Church is going to be starting a reparations commission right to look at paying reparations now I feel terrible for what the uh, Episcopal Church was doing in the 1790s and the 1820s. I think that's horrible. But I didn't have any slaves. N- nobody in my family, as best I know, had any slaves. I don't really don't want my church donation going to reparations. But it's not just reparations. That's the example that sticks out most recently. But you see on the emails the different... <laughs> types of activism that they're trying to collect. And sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't like it. But um, I was just curious how it affects different people. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Sunday, we went to dinner with my dad's family. And um, well, I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. I know Larry and Brookeline has been patiently holding. Hello, Larry.
12: Hi, Frank. Frank, I have a synonym for the word reparations. It's called welfare checks. Um, okay, but I, what I really want to say is, um, you know, a, a while ago you indicated to me that uh, you like that you were into uh, conspiracy theories, but yet uh, I've never heard since. You put on one guest uh, uh, that espoused any conspiracy theories, but now I think is the time in light of your discussion about Clarence Thomas, because um, you mentioned why he's being singled. You mentioned that he's being singled out, but you didn't mention why.
2: I just want to be clear on what you said, and I'll I'll let you say whatever you want. But um, you, You said you've never heard me put on a guest that espouses any conspiracy theories?
12: Maybe a long time ago, but uh, it's very infrequent. I, haven't, I can't remember any, Larry, any time. Uh, Larry, if you
2: email me, I will send you a list happily. I mean, happily. Uh, first of all, we have featured every John F. Kennedy conspiracy theory on the planet. So at least 20 different, uh, different Kennedy alone. You, Martin Luther King. RFK. Uh, okay. W- w- how about the just the other day? I had a guy on that said the Zodiac killer is the Unabomber. Now that's pretty bold.
12: Okay, I, I, I forgive me. Maybe I just missed those episodes. I, yeah, you snoring through off.
2: snoring through those episodes, Larry. I know what you're doing. Wake up!
12: But what I'm what I specifically referring to is uh, the uh, death of, of 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 Justice Antonin Scalia, because the reason they're singling Clarence Thomas out is because uh, uh, he mentioned, after the uh, abortion decision by the Supreme Court, he mentioned that Oberkfell decision on gay marriage should also be reexamined. That's why they're picking on Clarence Thomas. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I believe if, if he wasn't black, he could be targeted right right now as we speak. That's why I think we should get somebody who, who was spoused uh, who, who spouse, exactly like you
2: Larry, you're breaking up a little bit uh, so
12: I think we should get somebody that espouses the fact that the idea that Antonin Scalia was murdered like I do and uh, you know and and, and and hear him discuss There's people that wrote books on it I believe
2: yeah do, do you do you have a specific author or expert that you'd recommend? I'd be happy to invite them on.
12: Uh, unfortunately, Doc, e- look it up and email it you. If that would be like. great.
2: That'd be great. And I'll, I'll look also because I know, um, people have actually asked me to explore that before and, uh, I am happy, uh, to, uh, to explore that in a future show. Thank you, Larry. I'll be honest with you though, and I'm happy to explore it, but when I do get an expert on that says that, um, one of the questions that I'm going to ask is, well, I mean, how successful of a plan is that if it didn't work because he was replaced with another conservative justice? Obviously, I know there was a Democratic president, and he tried to replace him with Merrick Garland. But I do wonder if, I mean, wouldn't an integral part of the conspiracy have been to also replace him with, you know, also kill a senator? from a Republican state. You see what I'm saying? But anyway, uh, I'm happy to look into that. I, Lionel was big into that for a while. But Lionel is one of the many people who have stopped returning my phone calls. Hey, I do want to mention this. Um, six open lines if you want to comment. 800 You know, I, I did a lot of research this weekend on... Um, religion not just from a theological perspective when i found myself awake at 2:40 in the morning on saturday morning i was watching all sorts of religious programming and i was looking into the institutions themselves a great deal uh a lot and a lot of stuff i'm not going to get into but there was a something very interesting about how nuns Everyone thinks of nuns, these sweet little old ladies praying all day. Well, believe it or not, nuns have been very entrepreneurial. They started hospitals and schools in the 19th century. They engaged in the labor market when most women were prohibited from working outside the home. Did you know that? In recent years, nuns have done everything from breeding horses to slinging pizza. I had no idea that nuns made pizza. But what makes a little more sense is nuns also played an integral role in developing communion wafers. It's a product that they, along with the rest of the Roman Catholic Church, Believed, believe is turned into the literal body of Christ during Mass. Literal body of Christ through the miracle of transubstantiation, which, I'll be honest with you, is one of the things that drives me a little bit away from Catholicism and a little bit more towards Episcopal and Methodist services. Because, I, I mean, look, I think my faith is strong, but I don't believe that me eating a communion wafer is turning that literally into the body and blood of Christ. I can buy that it's symbolically the body and blood of Christ, but that's not what transubstantiation is putting out there. But it doesn't matter what I believe. matters the dogma of the Roman Catholic Church. So the wafers that are served in millions of churches all over the country, all over the world, used to be almost entirely produced by nuns running small-scale operations. And the Benedictine Sisters of Perpetual Adoration started producing them in 1910. Eventually, some weeks, nuns were churning out two million-plus wafers, shipping them to clients ranging from parishes to prisons to Princess Cruise Line. But today, it's a different story. Now, almost every communion wafer comes not from the Benedictine nuns, but from a for-profit group, the Kavanaugh Company, who essentially has become an altar bread monopoly. Did you know any of this? I found it um, so interesting. So, uh, I, I, the, I found an interesting video on this, in the hustle. And it's pretty neat. It's it's got animations and things of that nature. I'm gonna share a link to it right now. It's short. It's only three minutes. I'm gonna share a link to it right now on my Facebook page, Facebook.com slash fan. It's Facebook.com slash Morano fan. But if you think about it, it's wild. For a century almost nuns made these company the, these wafers until this company called Kavanaugh basically took over with what's now a full-blown monopoly and this epic battle between the church and commerce. So if you want to see the whole video from the hustle, um, you can watch it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Morano fan. I found it fascinating, fascinating. All right. Uh David, is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, David.
16: Yes, good morning, Frank. Um, I have to ask you a question. Um, When you have a person on, like Larry from Brooklyn, who I have insisted is a racist because he is, and he makes a comment that reparations – he said it was a joke. It's not a joke. He says reparations is welfare, or welfare is the equals reparations. Does that bother you even a little bit? I mean, um, you didn't push back on it at all. Well, well, one,
2: because I didn't want to get into a whole reparations discussion at the moment. Does it bother me? I, I, I could... Um, n- yes, it does bother me because it's not true. But And Larry has said things uh, that, uh, that I've found objectionable on a racial level. And I've said so uh, when he's done so. But I think... Um, you know, I, I view that more as a uh, an, an economic comment than a uh, than a than a racist one. I, I mean,
16: well, especially uh, by Larry's standards. Okay, uh, let me just say one other thing. and This isn't about that, mm. Clarence Thomas. I don't feel he's being singled out. I think, if anything, it's because if you look at the amount we're talking about—millions of dollars of gifts that he did not report—and he can call it whatever he wants to call it. There is no way that when you have someone like this multi-billionaire who, who supports groups that are anti-abortion and anti-trans and whatever, that if you're accepting those kind of gifts that you can't tell me that that person doesn't speak to you or has any kind of influence, that is nonsense. What And I think this bothers you too, maybe not with this case, but we pretend that judges are somehow superhuman and they have no biases when we know that every single judge, liberal, Republican, whatever they all have their political biases that they all use every day to make routine and not so routine decisions. And you know this notion that Clarence Thomas could is above reproach. Of course, oh, he no, is. no, 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 no. I don't think
2: anybody's. A, I don't think anybody's above reproach, David. But I would agree with what you're saying if one of two things occurred. One, if um, this person, Mr. Crow, or any of his companies had uh, cases that came before the Supreme Court that Thomas ruled on and didn't recuse himself on. Um, And uh, that I would find very objectionable. And I think I said that when Thomas didn't recuse himself from different uh, issues related to the 2020 election that his wife was involved in. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I'm pretty sure I said that. But um, uh, two, if there was a violation of the rules, but these rules on ethics and disclosure apparently didn't exist between March 14th. So with no case that he ruled on that would have been affected by these trips that we know of and uh, no um n- no uh, no strict prohibition prohibiting that or even mandating disclosure. I don't see the the problem. I mean, I think justices are allowed to have friends that take them on trips. And, and this seems to be, by all accounts, even the ProPublica piece, uh, makes clear that these guys are genuine friends that go back decades.
16: So I'm not going to— Well, wait. Go ahead. Wait. All right. Well, first of all, they were not friends before Clarence Thomas became a Supreme Court judge. Apparently, they became friends about five years after that. But also, Clarence Thomas had reported gifts in the past. And then when someone had mentioned something about it, he suddenly stopped. So, you know, they say uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's something not right about this. right? I mean, in government, I don't care who it is. I mean, you know, presidents should be accepting gifts. I mean, they say that Donald Trump made off with – worth of gifts that, that weren't reported. All gifts should be reported. Kavanaugh had, what, a couple hundred thousand dollars of debts paid off before he got nominated? We don't even know who paid those debts. How do we know what cases were before any of these people? This stinks, Frank. I don't care whether it's Clarence Thomas or one of the ripple justices. They should report every single gift that they're given so that we know. Well, now
2: they all will. Now they all will, David. I hope so. uh, David, thank you. And if they don't, then there's going to be no louder voice opposing that than me. And by the way, I really do think my opinion would be the same if this was one of the liberal justices. I mean, Justice uh, Sotomayor, Justice Kagan, Justice, uh, you know, uh, Justice Brown Jackson. To me, you have a set of standards and it should mean something. If if Justice Kagan was going on trips paid for by a, a wealthy friend, I wouldn't care about that either. At all. Unless that business, that person had business before the court. Then it's a different ballgame. Then it's a different ballgame. All right. we uh, We'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead A wonderful song Uh, This version of Lovely Day Which I think most people know From the Bill Withers version of the song Was featured in episode 2 Of this season of Ted Lasso Which was also quite good As I said, I'm enjoying the entire season immensely So, I must reiterate And if my wife is listening on the podcast Or live, if our son unfortunately happens to be awake Which I hope he's not That uh, how difficult going to events on Sunday are, but there are certain events that you can't miss. One of them is Easter Sunday. And um, I try to go every other year in terms of spending it with either my dad's family or my mom's family. And then I'll do um, Palm Sunday with whomever I don't spend Easter with, which I feel like is... Equitable and you get to see family and you get to see everybody. Nobody gets, gets upset or anything like that. We're supposed to have dinner at a restaurant in um, Manhattan. Okay. And my plan was, okay, no big deal. I'm going to bring my stuff. I'm going to head over to uh, my friend Arthur's office and I'll camp out there. Give me the key to the place and I'll get work done. And read all the papers there after we have dinner. I'll maybe even get a nap in. And my wife and I are both under the impression that this dinner starts at 2 p.m. So we're racing there. And uh, it's it's a hike. It's about an hour drive for us. We're racing there. And we see the clock is ticking. So I said, all right, honey. Now we're starting to see these prices in these parking garages again. And I start to see, uh, all right, we have to go that way anyway. There's a parking garage right there. It's right up the block from where our dinner is. So I see I can use this same parking app, which I now believe I have a $30 credit for, to park there for $14. So we're basically parking for free. So... My wife has a way and but my son doesn't know what he's in for a couple of years from now because she has a way of really making you nervous when Hi, honey. when she's no see no that's the that's the very slow patient Rachel Morano Hi
14: honey
2: No no but so we're driving up this block crowded Manhattan street and she's saying all right which which one is it? I said it's 225 225 all right, well, which one is 225? I don't see that. There's 210, there's four. there's two something. Which one is 225? I said, I don't know. There's one on the left. There's one on the right. I don't know. And she pulls into the one on the right, and she said, all right, well, this is where we're parking. I said, okay. And, I, and we ask, figure maybe it's one of these buildings that has multiple locations. Is this 225? No, it's 245. Oh. How much is it to park here? Uh it's $25. Um, but I just bought the $14 across the street. So I said, honey, can we leave and go across the street? She says, No, I don't know which one that was. We passed it. And you could tell when your wife's not in a mood to be argued with. That was one of those times. So now I'm out $14 for a second parking garage in two days that I did not park
5: it, You're the odd duck.
2: And now out an additional $25. But uh, we get to this table. We go to the restaurant. We say, hey, all right, we're here now. Carmine's walking in. He's in a great mood, had a nice little nap in the car. We're here. All right, great. We're here. I'll say to the maitre d', we're here. All right, we're, we're, we're a couple of minutes late now. It's 2.05, 2.10. That's not bad when you have a 17-month-old that uh, marches to his own drummer. So he said, all right, where's the uh, Moreno table? I don't, I don't know. Well, maybe we're first. Uh, how many people in your party? I'm not sure. I think 10, maybe 11. Well, no. Is she? Is it Anderson? No, 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 it's not anything. I have a a Smith here for eight. No, 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 no. Well, maybe it's under Carmine, because my father's name is Carmine also. Maybe he made the reservation. Not seeing anything. Uh, Now, my son is just losing whatever limited patience he had. Walking around. And uh, sure enough, we, on this group text that I'm, one of the 30 non-WhatsApp group text messages that I'm in that's driving me crazy. I said, we're parking. Now, I see my brother respond that, well, we're just leaving Brooklyn now because dinner's at 3, not 2. And uh, my wife calls, either my brother or my stepmother, I don't know who. And she says, hey, are you guys here? No, the dinner starts at 3. So somehow, my wife and I were both under the impression that this dinner started at 2. Sure enough, the dinner started at 3. So we basically have to hang around the restaurant and walk around outside trying to entertain the 16-month-old who's getting increasingly ornery and impatient and perhaps even worse than being impatient and ornery, has an increasing desire to pick up random garbage because he loses his patience with with what's going on inside. So then he'll walk to an empty table and he'll try and grab the tablecloth. He'll try and grab this. All right, come on, let's go outside. And then he's into it. Then he's into it. Then he tries to close the door, open and close the door. Okay, that'll that entertains him for five minutes. Okay, what's that there? Oh, that's a dirty napkin on the ground that someone left. Leave that alone, oh, no, no no, okay, all right, what's that over there? okay, that's trash. You leave that alone no no, no. um the, and what what's that over there? Oh, it looks like a broken glass. stay away from that so um that goes on for an hour, and then you can imagine uh what this was then a three hour dinner basically or two hour dinner He was there for four hours um. I I don't know why we thought it was two o'clock. I don't know why we thought it would be a good idea to use that parking app again. But that'll learn you. Always double check. So uh, and it reiterates just the difficulty that I have with these Sunday events. Uh, I I just I said to my wife, I just cannot do these Sunday events anymore. They're just a killer, a killer.
1: Time after time after time after time after time. All right,
2: 848 800-848-9222. Mark, Ron, Ralph, I will get to you in a moment. Um, last Easter-related subject I will raise is coming up in a minute. Of all the biblical films that you've seen, doesn't mean it has to be New Testament, it could be Old Testament or whatever, what's your favorite and why? Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts. Be sure
5: to use it.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Marano.
2: Side of midnight. I love this time of year uh, when all the religions happen to, not all the religions, but many of the religions happen to all have their holy days sort of coinciding with one another. Ramadan, Passover, Easter, Orthodox Easter, they're all right near one another. I feel like maybe this is my own perception, but I feel like uh, people are maybe a little bit nicer to one another. I feel like well, I try to be nice to everybody all the time, but sure, I'm sure there are times where I'm rushing and I don't take the time necessarily to um, say hello to someone or be, be, go out of my way to be kind to someone. But I do feel like you're much more mindful of your actions and your behaviors during this time of year. Again, maybe that's just me or my, my perception, or maybe it's because, and this is what I'd like to think it is, maybe because it's going you're going to church more during the lenten season that you have that on your brain a little bit more and you keep sort of the the message of whatever religion you adhere to uh on your brain a little bit more when you leave church whatever the case may be well, this morning or sunday morning technically i found myself up early with carmine and uh I was trying to find a good biblical movie that we could put on. And most of the ones that I found on streaming or on television, most of them you had to pay for or I had already seen or were not appropriate for children. And then uh, I ended up turning on both the History Channel and one of the other documentary channels had a series of um, mini documentaries about Jesus, his life, and his resurrection. And we ended up just putting that on for a few minutes while he ate his Cheerios. And I tried to get through some of my email. I spent a huge chunk of my day trying to get through my email today. I finally did it, I think. But it got me thinking... If you were going to make a list of the best biblical movies ever, what would you put on it? And I posed the question on Facebook, and a ton of people were commenting. And if you want to add your comment on Facebook, you can. Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O-Fan. A A lot of people saying uh, the Ten Commandments, which I also love. Look, I love anything with Charlton Heston whether we're talking Ben-Hur, another biblical movie, whether we're talking Planet of the Apes, whether we're talking the quick cameo that he does in the film Wayne's World 2, whether we're talking Soylent Green. uh, To me, uh, there's just no no one's got a voice like Charlton Heston. And whether he's Moses or Bright Eyes in Planet of the Apes, the guy's voice and his intonation immediately commands attention. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. I mean, the, the gun's voice. Nova. We'll call you Nova. How do you not listen to that? But anyway, uh, a lot of people mention the Ten Commandments. My favorite. So what's yours? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. And you could, it could be your favorite for any reason. Could be it for entertainment purposes. Could be it for educational purposes. Whatever the case may be. I'll tell you what mine is. I mentioned this the other day. My favorite is Jesus Christ Superstar. There's many that I like. But um, my favorite is Jesus Christ Superstar. One, because I love the music. Two, the film is shot so beautiful. It's just masterful cinematography. Three, I think it does a pretty good job holding true to a lot of what goes on in the Gospels and depicting it in a way that's very relatable to modern audiences. Um. So I that's my favorite. A lot of other people disagree uh 808489222 uh 808489222 and by the way they can be unorthodox i know a lot of people it was very contra- and that's part of the thing that i love about religious filmmaking is that it gets people it's provocative at times you know when there was all that controversy over the um over the last temptation of christ the martin scorsese picture i thought that was wonderful i love art where it just brings out people who think it's beautiful or it's creative or it's different or it's interesting and people that don't, I love, I love that. So um, I I looked online. Most of these are films that I have not seen. Obviously something like the passion of the Christ, which a lot of people listed, I have seen, but I love getting lists of new films that I haven't seen so that I could add them to my list. I also love um, Jeffrey Hunter as Jesus. Obviously as a Star Trek fan, I am very partial to Jeffrey Hunter because of his role as Captain Pike. But um Jeffrey Hunter plays Jesus in King of Kings and he was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. That's that's a little bit more heavy than Jesus Christ Superstar. But whether it's heavy, whether it's light, whatever the case may be, what's your favorite? 800 848 Let me begin. And they don't have to be Christian either. You want to pick a Mormon film or a Old Testament Jewish film or a Muslim film? Be my guest. 800 John is in... You know, I wonder about the Muslim films, though. Because there's all these... My sister-in-law, I think she wrote that her favorite film... Is the Prince of Egypt, which I've never seen. I think that's sort of a children's film. But in Islam, if I understand Islam correctly, which I may not, but in Islam, you're not supposed to depict the Prophet Muhammad. So are there any films that aren't that haven't caused people to be beheaded or have fatwas issued against them? that depict the prophet Muhammad? For instance, there's all these great stories about the story of Jesus. Uh, he is be, being born, is dying, is coming back to life. Is there any story about Muhammad in the early days of Muslim, uh, of Islam, that don't result in people being, and I'm asking this not to be insulting, but I'm genuinely curious, that don't result in people being fatwad, John's in Freehold. John, give me your favorite biblical
7: film.
6: Yes, hey, Frank. You took uh, both of mine, actually. I oh. celebrate Passover, and uh, I was going to say the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, and Prince of Egypt is my favorite. So uh,
2: uh, Prince of Egypt I haven't seen. Um, what's it about?
6: It's a, it's a story of Moses, um, how he was found in the river. He grew up in Egypt and then uh, led the Exodus um it's actually it'd be a great car, it, it's a cartoon it'd be great for a car yeah man. it
2: looked good i saw the sure cover um it. do you remember who voices moses
1: um no but the animation is done very well really um okay guys that did uh, road to el dorado
2: oh okay i will check it out thank you john appreciate that you know i'm looking at these lists that other people have made that are on the internet Of their favorite biblical movies. So I'm not vouching for the ones that I haven't seen. But there's one one website, Den of Geek, which lists a film pretty high. It's called Jesus of Montreal. I've never seen this. But it says biblical scholars will appreciate the sheer ingenuity of the way details and jokes from the Gospels have been seamlessly squeezed into this moving, modern-day tale of an acting group in Quebec. Tasked with reworking a passion play, Daniel gathers a group of actors, saving them from a life of seedy porn voiceovers and degrading commercials. His performance as Jesus is a hit, but the church is uncomfortable at some of the more unconventional slants they've given the story. The theater doubles as their place of worship. Daniel causes chaos when he's outraged at the manipulation of young actors forced to strip off for a beer commercial. While his troop is determined to start an idealistic new company, growing in popularity, Daniel is told he could have the whole city at his feet if he would accept the opportunities offered to him. But with the authorities closing in, there's danger his work could be brought to an abrupt end. Abrupt end. That sounds interesting. I'm going to check that one out, actually. 800 848 Joe and Ron Conkrum, I hope you had a nice Easter. What's your favorite biblical film?
17: Well, Happy Easter,
10: Frank. It was great. I spent some time with the family. Great. Um, how was yours?
2: Uh, wonderful. Appreciate it.
10: Uh, Ben-Hur. I like the movie Ben-Hur. I used to watch it with my dad all the time. I like the uh, screenshots of when the horses are racing, the, the scenery. Uh, I, I love Charlton Heston. I know it was a great movie. And, like, it always brings me back sitting and watching movies with my dad. My dad always watched little more biblical Unfortunately, this year I noticed there wasn't that many on cable. I had to uh, go and stream it if I wanted to see it.
2: Yeah, you know, I noticed the same thing, uh, actually. So uh, that wasn't just me, Um, at least this morning when I was looking. Um, So, okay, I like Ben-Hur also. And you know what I like about Ben-Hur, aside from Charlton Heston, who's terrific, is... And, hey, did you ever see... I'm, I'm assuming we're both talking about the Charlton Heston version, right? Yes. Did you ever see the 1923 silent version?
10: My dad did. No, I have not.
2: I haven't seen it either, but there's people that believe that the um 1923 silent version is even better than that version with Charlton Heston.
10: Wow. I got I got to look into that. Uh- like I said, I've never seen it. I know my dad spoke about it. My dad, I told you, had a collection of VCR movies when he passed. They're sitting in my garage, and unfortunately, like that other guy that talked about it a while ago, they're probably no good anymore, but he was a movie buff, Frank. He loved all the old classics. Hey, have a great night, great show. Hey,
2: thanks, Joe. You know what you should do is people should um, check out, and they're not an advertiser, um, Um, But they should check out this service called Legacy Box, and it's a convenient way to digitize all your old tapes, all your old photos, all your old films, and it sends it back to you however you want it. Especially, it's great if you have a lot of old home videos. It's a lot of fun. You know who wrote Ben-Hur? Ben-Hur was written by Lou Wallace. Now, that name may not be familiar to you now, but Lou Wallace was a fascinating man, fascinating man. He was a lawyer. He was a union general during the Civil War. He was the governor of New Mexico before it was a state. He was a politician, a diplomat, and yes, an author from Indiana. Ben-Hur was written by a politician from Indiana. And he wrote a whole bunch of novels, wrote a whole bunch of biographies, but he's best known for the adventure story Ben-Hur, a best-selling novel that some people say is the best-selling, is the most influential Christian book of the 19th century. Uh, isn't that interesting? A Civil War soldier and a politician wrote that book? I think it's interesting. 800 848 Pamela is in New Jersey. Hello, Pamela.
13: Hello. Um, the Song of Bernadette by with uh, Jennifer Jones about Our Lady of Fatima.
2: I'm not up on that, so tell me about that film.
13: Oh, it's great. It was made in the 1950s. It's, um, uh, it's about uh, the vision of Our Lady of Fatima in Portugal and the life of the three children, mainly the one female. And um, it's kind of... You know it's um, it's it's done very well and um, and then her her suffering afterwards the eldest child who saw the vision and uh, it's done really well it's really great I saw it as a child I saw it as an adult it's a little you know depressing for a young young child you know give me
12: give, um, me, give me the title
13: one more time uh, Song of Bernadette.
2: Song of Bernadette. I'm gonna put it on my list. It sounds great. Thank you, Pamela. Oh, okay. I hope you had a nice Easter. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Chris in Beth Page. Chris, what's yours?
17: Definitely King of Kings. You mentioned Jeffrey Hunter. Um, I don't know how old you are, Frank, but I'm sixty. So when I was growing up, that was on the ABC, if you remember, during Holy Week, that was on the four thirty movie on channel seven, every You know, the week before he said, I just always look forward to it. To me, it was the definitive religious movie. And boy, I always grew up thinking that Jesus looked exactly like Jeffrey Hunter.
2: (laughs) That's how Jesus should look.
17: Exactly. You know, they
2: say um, they say if you uh, if you look at um, extrapolations that they've made and maybe we'll do and thanks for the call, Chris, maybe we'll do something a little later in the week on what we know about Jesus, not as a religious figure, but as a historical figure, because he's a fascinating historical figure as well. But they say if you kind of recreate his face from the Shroud of Turin, that he probably looked, I mean, look, you could go online and see what he looked like, uh, supposedly. They say he probably looked a lot more like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed than Jeffrey Hunter. But um, who knows? 800 Ray is
7: in Riverdale. Hello, Ray. Yes, yeah, so, Frank, to answer your question about the uh, movies that were, about Islam that were pulled from the theater, it was a uh, movie called The Messenger. It was back in 1976, and when it first showed in the United States, <laughs> It, was, it caused a lot of controversy, and then they actually had a shooting in a the theater. And it didn't really? Actually, yes, I'm uh, looking this
2: up now. It was The Message. Origin, um, the, the Message, 1976, starring...
7: But, 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 said Mohammed, Messenger of God. And really, he wasn't really in the... All, all the show was a silhouette of his arm. And it was, uh, it was over a crowd, and he had a sword in his arm. And that was... The only image you saw of Muhammad, but that was enough because you're not supposed to show Muhammad at all. And any type of artwork, anything like this, is part of the religion. Um, I'm looking uh, at the cast
2: of this. This is some cast. Anthony Quinn, Michael and Sara, This is uh, quite a very good cast. Did you ever see yeah, this picture?
7: It got pulled from the theaters. You know, and then it was never, never, never. It wasn't uh, re-released or anything like that. Maybe it was much later on, but it caused a lot of controversy, and uh, you know they just shut it down.
2: Yeah, I'm looking now. I'd love to see this. This looks like a great film. It, there was a restoration of the film shown at the Dubai International Film Festival in December 2017, and it was given a theatrical release in Saudi Arabia. I think after after that. So um, that that was um, interesting.
7: What was- it was released back in the seventies, and for the longest time, I guess, it's, it stayed dormant.
2: Yeah, apparently, dormant. I'm re- I'm reading about this now. It's a fascinating story. It took it cost a lot of money to make this picture, and they needed to make five million dollars. Um, the the film, uh, excuse me, they needed to gross thirty five million dollars to break even, but they only earned five million dollars during its theatrical run, with two million coming from the United States, because as you said. They had to pull it from these theaters. Very, very interesting. I'm going to check this film out, see if I can get a um, get a copy of it somewhere. 800 Dan
8: is on Long Island. Hello, Dan. Yeah, Frank, I got a couple for you. How about uh, The Ten Commandments, The Greatest Story Ever Told, Jesus of Nazareth, and what I think is my favorite, John uh, Ford's The History of the Bible.
2: Oh, so I think everybody has mentioned uh, everything that you mentioned either on the radio or on Facebook, except for that John Ford film. And I'm a big John Ford fan. I haven't seen that. Tell me about that.
8: Yeah, that's a masterpiece. They go from uh, Adam and Eve, The Burning Bush, Cain and Abel, Noah's Ark. I mean, they do, they're, they're, and very they do it very good. All of them, you know. I mean, they just do the whole. They run the whole gamut. Okay, uh, I will
2: put that on my list. I like John Ford. Larry's in Baltimore. Hello, Larry.
16: Hey, good morning, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. I've got to go with the Ten Commandments. It was just on Saturday a week ago, the night before Palm Sunday. What is not great about it? The cast, the color, the clothes, uh, the special effects, the music. And let's not forget the over-the-top acting and the memorable lines from the bad guys. Examples. Vincent Price, I can flick a fly from my horse's ear without breaking the rhythm of his stride. Judith Anderson, I have a cloth that's more <laughs> revealing. Edward G. Robinson, too many ears, tire rat's tongue. I mean, you don't hear lines like these anymore. You do not. Yeah. And there were three Oscar winners in the uh, film. Um, they didn't win for that movie, but they won. Uh, Ann Baxter, Char- Charlton Heston, and uh, Yul Brenner. I mean, Larry, hey Larry, he, he when you—it's
2: it. a great film. I'm—you're I, not going to get an argument from me. When you called, did Kenneth ask you to turn your radio off?
16: Uh, no. He did not. No. We okay? How about now?
2: Still sounds on, like Kenny. it's on, but um, so Kenneth, what do you say? Did you tell Larry to turn his radio off or no?
9: Did not hear the radio on at the time of the call.
2: You did not hear the radio on at the time of the call? I did not. Marley Matlin could hear that radio on. Uh d- d- during he's that only phone doing call. things that anybody could do. You know, sometimes it slips through the cracks, right? I guess it does. Hey, we're, we're we're none of us are perfect, right?
18: Eddie is in Riverdale. Hello Eddie. Hey, how are you? Good morning. Eddie the doorman. How are you? I'm well. Uh, I'm well. Th- th- that gentleman also from Riverdale, uh I just wanted to tell him a little bit, a little bit about Islam. Uh, pictures are forbidden of our prophets. Right, that's we know we know that. That's yeah. what
2: that's what prompted the question. Yeah. Is there a film Be- because, that uh, tells because the story we, of Muhammad? We don't
18: have pictures because then people are going to stop praying to the pictures. That's why it's forbidden in Islam. I, are no you pictures. are you Muslim, Eddie? Yeah, I'm, I'm Yugoslavian. I was Christian six hundred years ago. The Ottoman Empire converted us into Islam. Well, I still have Christian, Muslim, Judeo values because I grew up with everybody. I love all good people. Um, I grew up with everybody in the Bronx.
2: Gotcha. Well, thats the I think that's place. great. And when you're in we're River... All brothers and sisters. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, Eddie. Yeah. And, especially... and I
18: always believe the next life, we're all going to be there. Not just one people. Everybody's going to be the next life. Amen. Clearly, whatever religion that's, Eddie that's, adheres that's to
2: involves in. interrupting.
18: Just like Beautiful Earth, we're going to be in a more beautiful place, too. Eddie. Everybody's going to be there.
2: Eddie. Yeah. Um, do, are there any very good Muslim
18: religious films that you'd recommend? Uh, uh, re- really, in Islam, you're not you're not really supposed to watch religious films. In Islam, I'm being honest. Okay, well, no, I but appreciate your candor. Um, Judah Ben Hur is to me the greatest movie. Judah Ben Hur with Charlton Heston.
2: Yeah, another vote for Ben Hur. Yeah. Hey, again, I did not see the silent version, but I you go online and there's there's all sorts of debates about which is better, the 1923 version, or is it? Um, or is it the other version with Charlton Heston? Uh, I got to get around to seeing that silent, silent version because, you know, I de- I generally prefer the the talking pictures to the silence. But there's some good silent films out there. Some great Buster Keaton. There's some good Charlie Chaplin. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert.
9: Hi, Frank. I'm with you, Jesus Christ superstar. It has so much in it, political, economic, social, religious. I mean, you name it. It's there. And the, the singing, the music, cinematography, like you say, phenomenal.
2: Yeah, I, to me, it's a home run. I absolutely love it. Sometimes I, just, I go home and listen to the soundtrack from that picture. I love the music in there so much. Uh, thank you, Robert. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two. You can also find us on Twitter, at Frank Moreno. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick.
17: Hey, Frank. How come you don't say original? Kenneth keeps on telling me he throws original in there.
2: But because, I mean, it becomes, at some point it becomes pretentious. I think if it was, if there were a lot of other Ricks calling in during the same show, then we would need to know that you're the original. But, with yeah. your right now, you're the only Rick on the call board. So, is there really a a need to elevate you well, higher I mean, than you, everybody else? I mean, well, it's, what, not,
17: it's not higher; it's just differentiating. Like well, you say, e I Frank, mean, it is you higher. You say E Frank, you don't say Frank. So, just well, wondering. because his
2: name's not Frank; it's E Frank.
17: Oh, I thought it was like E Frank, like email or something. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, you know, no. I <laughs> oh, okay.
2: Wait, what, what would that mean?
17: E, e- Frank, like well, email? Know, like, 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 like he's an like, electronic like, like, Frank? Know, like, yeah, that's what I thought. Just like, call Frank. me Frank.
2: Yeah. Um okay. No, his All name right. is E Frank.
17: So he right, claims. The... I mean, All right, Okay. okay. Well, I was just wondering. Just just wondering. You know. Just. Saying, All right. not, I, I had no fun, idea, this idea this was, was such. You. I'm just asking you. A question well, this
2: sounds very much like a confrontation. I had no idea this was such a hot issue with you, Rick.
17: Well, I, I'm the original. I was the first guy. I was one of your first callers when you first got on the air.
2: All right, and, Rick. we will give you right. we will give you that title. I whenever you call that. in, and on top of that, we will have uh, Matt Blaze, Kenneth, Alex Barnard, and Noam Laden. If he's here, all genuflect as soon as you your oh, call that's is not taken.
17: Right, that's not fair. No, Any, no, anyway. we, please. Okay, well, take a picture of that for I will. Anyway. Anyway, uh, about the, the movies, did you mention two of them? Did you mention The Robe?
2: No, I've never heard of The Robe. What's The Robe?
17: Oh, my God. It was on yesterday with uh, <clears throat> uh, Victor Mature and uh, Richard Burton. He's a incredible. Oh, I like Richard Burton. Yeah. No, no, he, it was an, it's an incredible. I'm not surprised you don't know that. And also about Barabbas.
2: Yes, uh, I have seen Barabbas. I like Barabbas very much.
17: Anthony Quinn did a great job. Yes, great he's job.
2: He's, um, he's terrific. Thank you, uh, both good ones. I'm seeing some good reviews for a film that's um, that's only a few years old called Mary Magdalene. Um, it's from 2018. I have to check this out. But it uh, looks good. Rooney Mara. She's a terrific actress. Love to see that. Tony is in Ozone Park. Hello, Tony.
12: Hello, uh, how are you doing? I've
2: uh, had better days.
12: Uh, I think The Robe is a good, good movie, good religious movie. Okay,
2: an, another vote for The Robe. I've not seen it.
7: Very good. It's the first
16: movie in, in Story of It's Town. It's and, what? Uh, the uh, uh, what? The first movie what? In Story of Town. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. But, uh, it was a 20th Century Fox movie.
2: The Robe. I, I am putting it on my list. Thank you, Tony. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Matt is in Rockland. Hello, Matt.
3: Hi,
2: good morning. Um,
3: the movie, I forgot the title of it, but I know two of the actors, Vincent D'Onofrio and um, I think it was Tracy Ullman. She was an English comedian. The story uh, was about their daughter who was seeing visions and... Uh, The daughter was then brought to a psychologist, a psychiatrist. She was hospitalized, and she continued to see these visions. But it was actually either saints or Jesus coming to her. And um, over the course of time, they realized that her calling was to become a nun. Oh, I I So it's a very happy ending, but uh, the acting and the whole take on what inspires people to go into religious life uh, was— was was really really kind of moving, and uh, I highly recommend it. Unfortunately, I forgot the name. Of the yeah,
2: it, I, it looks like the the title that you're trying to think of is Household Saints.
3: Okay, okay. Have you seen that? No,
2: I haven't. But it looks it looks pretty good. I must. Oh, sorry, I got to check that one out. 800-848-9222. Ed is in Forest Hills. Hello, Ed.
1: How are you doing, Fred? I'm well. Have you seen the Razor's Edge yet? The- Film I recommended to you? No,
2: it's still, on my, uh, it's still on my list, well, Don't it's, miss
1: it. It was uh, on recently. <laughs> uh, when was it anyway, on? Anyway, I'm calling about Quo Vadis. Uh, I, I love Quo Vadis. Now, uh, I uh, love Quo
2: Vadis. That uh, film is wonderful, and it's just beautiful color. But do you really consider that? I consider that a great Roman epic,
1: but do you consider that a biblical film? Well, it was based on the uh, belief in Christ, the sign, Quo Vadis, the sign of the fish.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Okay, well, but, but see, uh, yeah, when I right, think... It didn't show the uh, crucifixion, well, right, I, I, when, I, saw, uh... when I
2: think of it, when I use the term biblical film, that's why I said biblical, not religious,
1: I'm thinking
2: of a scene that's depicted in the Bible. Now, you're right in that Ben-Hur doesn't really do that either, but it kind of does in background. Uh, but Quo Vadis... That's uh, that's a little a little different, but I love that picture. That is a beautiful yeah. film.
1: So did I. And uh, the, I just saw The uh, the uh, Greatest Story Ever Told the other night was on PBS. Yeah,
2: that's a great picture also. Yeah,
1: uh, also, Max von Sydow was great as Christ. I mean, <laughs> and, and uh, Jeff Hunter also. But to go back, the best of all was probably Spartacus, even though it didn't have Christ in it. He was like the forerunner to uh, the crucifixion.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I love Spartacus. I'm a big Kirk Douglas fan and a huge yeah. Tony Curtis fan. Anytime you could have um, uh, slaves in ancient times talking with Brooklyn accents or Bronx accents, that's that's uh, that's right up my alley. But um, again, that's a little bit different in that that doesn't depict something from the Bible. You know, I do wonder, obviously, I don't think any Christian would take issue with um, a film depicting Judaism because that's all stuff that they believe also. However, I do wonder if people that are devout Jews do take issue with um, Christian films. Can they enjoy it just for art's sake? And for entertainment value's sake, even if they don't necessarily believe it. Um, So that's that. Uh, You know, somebody wrote me, for instance, uh, about in the Facebook group, all these people wishing one another a happy Easter or a happy Passover. And, you know, this person writes... Did you ever think uh, that all the holiday ecumenism, if that's even the right word for it, of what's going on in the Facebook group really doesn't make sense? When a so-and-so wishes so-and-so a happy Passover, pretending that Passover has parity with Easter as a sacred holiday, what they're really saying is, I hope you enjoy yourself this weekend because in not accepting Christ as your God and Savior, you're going straight to hell for eternity, so enjoy those matzahs while you can. And isn't so-and-so saying to the Christians, have a happy Easter, even though I believe you're celebrating as a fundamental element of my deep-rooted faith the fake resurrection of a false prophet? You know, I didn't think about that. I just thought of it as something that people do to be polite to one another. But I think the guy does have a point. Do, Do Jews take issue with watching Christian films? I don't think I would if I was Jewish just like i would like to watch that film the message i'd like to see some good muslim films uh doesn't because i don't believe in the uh, the quran i don't think that would take away from my enjoyment of it all right 800-848-9222 hey you know what we're going to do um we're going to give you an opportunity to win $1000 if you want to are the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222 You can participate in the $1,000 minute and you can try and answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. 10 trivia questions, 60 seconds, 800 848 9222. Go ahead and call
0: straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Frank Morano.
2: to win some money and uh, if you think you have what it takes you can be the seventh caller right now to 800 as we play
0: the other side of midnight presents it's the thousand dollar minute answer 10 questions correctly in one minute and you could win $1,000 here's your host friend
2: Murano. Well, how apropos! The day after we celebrate Easter, that uh, the person who gets to participate today is Mary in Baltimore. Hello, Mary. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm well. I'm well, Mary. Good. Good. Uh, how was your Easter?
13: Very lovely. Thank you for asking. How about yours, sir? Wonderful.
2: We're doing. It was terrific. Great. Thank you. All so right. Good. Uh, Mary, have you heard this contest before? I have yes sir okay great, so you know what to do then, yes, okay, so if you're ready, we will get started and uh, we will uh, hopefully make you one thousand dollars wealthier. it would be so great, thank you <laughs> okay, absolutely we're gonna hopefully just don't be nervous, you're gonna be fine all right, thank you let me get my uh, timer ready here what I'm yes okay. what Catholic holiday took place yesterday? Easter. What sport has a standard game length of nine innings? Football. No, I'm sorry. It's it's baseball. Baseball has nine innings.
11: <gasps> baseball? Oh, my gosh. I'm so dumb. Oh, oh my goodness. No,
2: you, you just got nervous, Mary. That's that's it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you got nervous, but... Um, Baseball and football are frequently confused with one another. They're both on um, <laughs> on Sundays, oh. right? We got XFL and USFL on Sunday. Oh. Mary, I'm going to put you on hold. Kenneth's going to give you a consolation <laughs> prize, okay? I'm sorry you didn't win. Thank
6: you. All Thank right. you so much. Sure you thing, have a Mary. great uh, morning, Frank. I appreciate that. you. God you bless too. you. Guys. Call again.
2: Call again. Sure, God bless sure. you. Such a nice lady. See, people get worked up, uh, and it's happened to me. I've been in the hot seat before. It's You could say don't get nervous, but a lot of times it makes you more nervous. So, I feel bad. Mary seemed like a nice lady. I was rooting for her. Uh, all right, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on any of the, uh, of the um, subjects that we are discussing today. And um, if you are celebrating birthday today, you are celebrating with actor Haley Joel Osment. You haven't seen much from him recently, have you? He was in a film with Michael Caine a few years ago, if I recall, and Robert Duvall called Secondhand Lions. And then obviously he was big as a child actor. But unlike a lot of other people that are primarily known as child actors like Macaulay Culkin and so forth, he did get some work even as 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 an adult actor as well. So happy birthday to Haley Joel Osment and uh, and to you. If you're celebrating a birthday today, Steven Seagal, who's currently living in Russia somewhere. He's a weird guy, man. I'd love to have him on this program. That would either be the most interesting interview that we've ever done or the most boring. Because he strikes me as one of those guys that he might come on the radio and either not say anything or... Or he only wants to talk about the subject that he wants to talk about. Something like, I don't know what it would be, but only like, only Buddhism or something. Um. So I don't know. It's still worth trying. We should try and get him on. I'll, uh, I will work on that. All right. Uh, Marie is in uh, Long Island. She's been hauling a while. Hello, Marie. Not as long as other
14: times.
2: Well, here you are, Maria. I can put you back on hold so that we can oh, try no. and exceed your previous record.
14: Oh no! But as I'm sitting here, I I was thinking of the world, barbarous. But let's talk about the uh, the history of the world. Everybody was assuming. I'm assuming people were talking about the Mel Brooks one, right? Yeah, history of the world, part one.
2: Yeah, no one mentioned that, but I think that's great.
14: When when because if you if you believe and watch Mel Brooks one it was 15 commandments,
1: right?
2: Yeah, again, it's important to note that that was just a joke.
14: Oh, uh, of course yeah. it was. You'd have to ask a Jewish person about how they feel about the movies. I'll ask my, my Jewish friend tomorrow. And then one other quick thing, Frank, I was getting my physical therapy done on my knee, and my and we were talking about WABC, and my friend, well, my therapist, chose me a picture of, of uh, him with, uh, uh, Curtis out in Greenport one time. I said, yeah, he's a cool guy. I said, what do you think about wow. Frank? Oh, Frank? Frank's great. I said, isn't he? He's really smart. And he's cool. He has a very, very unique show. Well, but that's, anyway. That's
2: very nice, Marie. Thank you. That's my I, kind of therapist. I
14: was, I was listening to you like 20 minutes ago with that gentleman on the phone. He was the one that said the Vogue. And Barabbas, I can't say it correctly, Barabbas. A uh, Barabbas. Yeah, what happened? I missed it. But anyway, but on your website, there was a big dialogue with these two beautiful ladies going back and forth about what you were just mentioning about on your website. Anyway, it's Monday, and I hope you have a beautiful week. Welcome Thank back. you,
2: Marie. Appreciate that. Yeah, as you can hear from Marie, my Facebook page is where all the beautiful ladies hang out. There you have it. Uh, if you're a guy wanting to meet some of those beautiful ladies, go to Facebook.com slash Morano fan. You can click like, and then you'll get an invite to join the um, the Facebook group. And you can interact with some of those beautiful ladies, right? Eight uh, hundred 800- Ladies are going to love you. 800-848-9222. Larry is on Long Island. Hello, Larry.
1: Hey, Frank. How you doing? I took about the movies. I was thinking about... Um... Because I played it off Broadway a long time ago, but it was um they made a movie in nineteen seventy three called Godspell.
2: Yes, I've seen Godspell. I love that picture.
1: Yeah, and I didn't realize that Victor Garber from Family Law, he's the one who played Jesus. I yes. didn't even know that.
2: Yes, he's a terrific actor. He and I, believe it or not, used to work out at the same gym. And um oh, wow. and uh you know, I didn't really talk to him much because you know, I didn't want to bother him. And uh, and also because, you know, the, for a long time now, I would probably just go out and go and talk to him. But um, mm-hmm. for a long time, I would try and act like I was too cool to run up to celebrities and talk to them. But <laughs> then I ultimately realized that I'm not too cool to run up to celebrities and talk to them. And I should have just talked to them. Uh, but, um, yeah, God spells a great picture. Thank you, Larry. 800 Oh, you know what I did want to mention? You know what was annoying? You know what had me hunting around for all these religious films this morning? You know what I usually watch? If I'm up at nine, I watch um, CBS Sunday morning. So I turn to CBS to watch it. I really look forward to this. The whole weekend. And especially, you know when there's a day, they do the whole day around that. For instance, if it's Super Bowl Sunday, there's all sorts of Super Bowl related segments that they do, but in every different aspect of it. Popular culture, history, uh current events. It's really interesting. The Academy Awards Day, it's a whole Academy Awards and movie themed show uh, for a big eating holiday. It's all food themed. It's great. It's just wonderfully, wonderfully produced. And um I was really looking forward to the Easter show because I saw some of the snippets that they put out on social media in advance. And there was a very interesting piece on um, Passover and the Torah. And I'm interested in learning about that. And lo and behold, I turn it on and it's preempted for the masters. Now, I realize a lot of people care about golf and watching this Masters tournament. To me, and I, I know a lot of people disagree, I, I find it pretty boring. I, find, I can't be the only one that was looking forward to seeing this show, CBS Sunday Morning, a really entertaining, informative show, and then I'm forced to see the, the, the hushed whispers. Of people saying, oh, "Oh, John Ram going for going for birdie. Oh no, he's one stroke behind. If he does this, this will be his second master title." And all this attention being—I mean, to me, it's just incredibly boring. And I get that people like it, and I get that they had to postpone it during the we- because of the weather, I guess, but. Why disrupt the programs that I want to watch? Why? Why, At least, you know what they should do? When I would listen to a, a, a baseball game and the radio station was contractually obligated to carry another sporting event... They would say, all right, for everyone looking to hear the Mech game, tune to, pa pa ba, ba, And then, oh, okay, I'll turn to that. And now, especially in this d- digital age where there's 900 streaming platforms. So you know what I did? And this, I, I can't tell you how agitated this made me to start my Sunday this way. So uh, what I did was I actually downloaded, there's a CBS News app. So I download the CBS News app. I said, okay. It's got to be on here. That's what they do now. They try and drive everything to the app. And I turn on the CBS News app. This gives you a choice of 50 different things that you want to watch, including every episode this season of CBS Sunday Morning. The one thing you can't watch is the CBS Sunday Morning that's supposed to be on right now. So I couldn't watch it. It was really irksome. So... Uh, That was that. I don't know if anybody else had that experience this morning, but that was that. Um, I downloaded what was originally CBS All Access and what's now Picard. And I heard somebody sent this to me. They are coming out with another season. They've already upped another season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And it's funny. Because when I was a child, I loved Star Trek. I loved pro wrestling. I loved Star Wars. And all I could think is, I wish these things were on more. I wish I could see more of these things. And it was such an event when they came out with Star Wars, a re-release of the three original films, the special edition. Such an event. Then forget about it. When they came out with these three new prequels, oh, my goodness, people were waiting for 17 years for this. And and okay, it's, they come out with more sequels and then all right, there's some other films. Uh then Star Trek is now in the same boat. For years there were two Star Trek uh, two Star Trek series. Then there were three. Then, immediately, there became five. Then there were six. And, on top of that, 12 films. And now, there are more Star Trek series than I can count. You have the original series, the animated series, the Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy. Strange new worlds. And I feel the same way about Star Trek and Star Wars that I do about pro wrestling these days. I think there's just too much. I think there's just too much of it on right now. You can tell me if you agree or disagree. We'll do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Faith.
12: Norman! Uh, my favorite movie, Ten Commandments, and with the passion of the Christ. R- Ralph! Okay, uh,
17: I, I don't know if you have seen the movie, Jesus Christ Superstar, but uh, the soundtrack of that is just simply amazing for me. So I watched it uh, on this, it's uh, the Sunday,
8: and during the Lenten uh, week. Raji, my goodness! Diehard pro World War Three war Gordon gungo Chang, John Bolton, and Lindsey Graham are now advocating blockade on China and Middle East. Eddie, Tony,
2: uh, Tales of Manhattan, Mike
3: morning, Frank. Two words in your future, solo in chinette, along with plastic utensils, bottles and glasses. No glass Frank for Marano, you. Frank Moreno, good
2: day.